Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this Hagman Report on this Thursday, May 16th. What is today? The 16th? The 17th? The 17th, 2018. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, had a little uh, lapse there. Anyway, it's great to be here today. we got a lot to get into. We have a number of great guests coming up, starting with, help me out with this last name, John, Rob Schmishok. No. Nope. Let's do Rob Shimshock. Shimshock. There we go. Uh, yeah, Rob, Rob Shimshock uh, from Daily Caller. <laughs> And he is, uh, he reports Joe on, well, on lots of different things, but we're going to talk about education tonight and we're going to take a little, a little trip back to, uh, education back when people were actually learning and learning how to learn. So Rob Shemshock coming up at uh, 7.30. Awesome. Then we have Michael Cutler. He's coming on. He's a former ICE agent. We're going to be talking about a number of things, including immigration. And we got some headlines to get into on that in just a moment. And uh, to take us out tonight, we're going to be taking calls, and also Keith Hansen will join us in the final hour for the first half hour, and then the rest of that time we're going to take calls. As you can see, John is co-hosting with me today. My father, Doug, did InfoWars Hour 4, and he has some other stuff he's working on, so John's fine with me tonight, and we're going to take this first half hour and get into some news John, come back on. You said you had some housekeeping you wanted to get into. Indeed. Uh, first of all, uh, special thanks to, uh, well, all three of our guests uh, last evening, but particularly Pastor David Langford, who joined us for his uh, usual Hour 3 slot, uh, Wednesday, May 16th. And, Joe, we had an enormous uh, response uh, from uh, from his remarks uh, and also from his time with us last week. So I uh, yeah. got a really kind message from a Laura C., uh, who is in Nashville, her family and she, and she just wanted us to thank Pastor Langford uh, for just constantly renewing her spirit, you know, as we look through all these things that are so uh, difficult to digest. And then I just want to make say a quick shout-out to Nick McIntosh, who is, as we speak right now, he is in boot camp on Paris Island, and he's going to be a U.S. Marine. And uh, last I heard, he was doing martial arts training, and had twisted his ankle, and he's also doing the swim test, which is supposed to be really difficult. But uh, it was all of our listeners and viewers who played a significant part in helping Nick get repatriated from Peru and uh, into the U.S. Marines. That's awesome. We do have the uh, best listening audience out there, and that's evident every time we get to interact with them. And, uh, you know, it's such a blessing to have that, especially when we're doing what we're doing. Now, getting into some news, there's a whole bunch of news with Robert Mueller investigation into Trump, there is information coming out that I believe shows that Comey lied to Congress and that the investigation started well before they originally claimed. Also, they are saying, reports are saying, that the Operation Crossfire Hurricane, which was the FBI investigation into Donald Trump campaign, into his campaign, also had access, was spying on the whole campaign uh, staff, phone records, phone calls, as well as other information. And we see here that the special counsel, Robert Mueller's office, uh, has now notified a federal court in Virginia 
that it has filed under seal an unredacted memo that is expected to shed light on the scope of his wide-ranging probe into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. The filing, made as part of Mueller's criminal case against President Donald Trump's former campaign manager Manafort, was requested by the judge who told prosecutors earlier this month he wanted to see an unredacted copy of the memo. Now, there is uh, a whole lot of talk going on about what all this means, and we're not going to break all this down in this half hour, but basically, this with the other information that the FBI spied on Trump and his campaign using an informant, using phone records that were taken through a secret subpoena, and they even had this, again, Crossfire Hurricane was the name of this operation, 100 days before the presidential election is when it started. Five agents, including Peter Strauch, traveled to London in the summer of 2016 to interview with a diplomat after Papadopoulos drunkenly claimed to Australian ambassador that he knew who had Hillary's emails that according to the New York Times, but this Gateway Pundit article goes on to say, what the fake news media doesn't want to report on is the fact that the FBI was also approached by Christopher Steele on July 5th to discuss memos he penned on Trump's so-called Russia's connections, which he ended up compiling into the Trump dossier. But what does all this mean? We have the Inspector General report coming out soon. It's said to be completed, so now we're just going to waiting for it to be released. You have this, these new revelations of this conspiracy against President Trump, against candidate Trump, a hundred days before the election even took place. And it's, they're, they're showing on Drudge, if you see, they're reporting also that they did this, not because there was an underlining crime. They launched these investigations in the hopes of finding a crime, which is completely, I mean, it's, that's a crime in and of itself. What do you want to add to here, John? This is crazy. It is. You know, it gets crazier every day, every time a new piece of information comes out. And we'll it, be here to sort through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the piece that Joe was sharing with all of you is from uh, the Gateway Pundit today. And, of course, always, as always, a special thanks to Jim Hoft, uh, who has joined us a number of times in recent weeks, as well as our old friend Josh Kaplan, who writes for uh, the Gateway Pundit as well. But there's uh, there's sort of a, a reiteration here, if you will, uh, Andrew C. McCarthy, uh, writing over at National Review, uh, headline, Spinning a Crossfire Hurricane, the Times on the FBI's Trump Investigation. And the reason I chose this piece is because what Mr. McCarthy does, again, at National Review, is he takes the New York Times coverage of what Joe was just uh, elaborating on to task. And he does so uh, applying the Journalism 101 template to... Uh, the choices made by the New York Times, and I just want to share this portion. Quote, There was no criminal predicate to justify an investigation of any Trump campaign official. So, the FBI did not open a criminal investigation. Instead, the Bureau opened a counterintelligence investigation and hoped that evidence of crimes committed by Trump officials would emerge. That's it right there. Boom. Drop the mic. Walk away. Lastly. But it is an abuse of power to use counterintelligence powers, including spying and electronic surveillance, to conduct what is actually a criminal investigation. Again, Andrew McCarthy, uh, Joe at National Review. The last thing I want to say is uh, Julia Manchester uh, writing over at The Hill, thehill.com, headline, Trump report that... Obama FBI spied on campaign 
could be, quote, bigger than Watergate, end quote. Okay. This is, where I want, this is exactly where I want to, I don't know if Boom. you... Think about this, though. We saw all these pundits, for, you know, MSNBCs, the Brian Stelters, your favorite over at CNN, uh, you know, the Rachel Maddows, all the Morning Joes, all say, they, they've all made this comparison that this is going to be, what, what Trump did is worse than Watergate. But think about this. They were right, but not about what Trump did. They were right about the part that it, this is much worse than Watergate. And it's worse than Watergate because the Obama administration and the deep state uh, apparatus used the top law enforcement agencies and surveillance uh, systems in this country illegally to go after a political opponent who was then elected president in hopes of bringing him out of office, getting him impeached, and putting him in jail, specifically because they can't stand him because of what he stands for and who he represents as far as patriots and nationalists and constitutionalists. They hate that. They had eight years under Obama. They were hoping for another eight years under the Hillary Clinton administration, and thankfully, President Trump won. And their conspiracy has been exposed. Now the question is, what will happen to the people who conspired to do this? Will there be justice? Well, the president himself, Joe, uh, earlier today on Twitter, there are 54,500 who retweeted uh, that exact concern. This is what uh, President Donald Trump had to say. Wow, word seems to be coming out that the Obama FBI spied on the Trump campaign. This is just so creepy. With an embedded informant. Uh, the president read the Andrew McCarthy piece I just referenced. Andrew McCarthy says, quote, there's probably no doubt they had at least one confidential informant in the campaign. If so, this is bigger than Watergate. Again, from President Trump's Twitter account. So there's the sentiment, Joe, of our president. Yeah, and it's, you know, yesterday my dad said, you know, you need to have patience. These things take time. The The investigations, the uh, putting together the pieces of the puzzle that you need, putting together the evidence that you can to prove this conspiracy and the people who uh, were the ones who perpetrated it. That is true to an extent. But as I said, there are people like Peter Strauch, who are, like Rod Rosenstein, who are still working at the highest levels of government, who were the main players in this criminal conspiracy to set up our president, I think this is, like we said, the biggest political scandal in American history pretty much ever. I mean, I don't know any examples that exceed what we have seen. Because we saw the Obama administration, the media, Hollywood, everybody get behind Hillary Clinton. They had the biggest cheerleading squad, and they still couldn't win the rigged election. President Trump was able to rally the silent majority and thankfully they're still there but because they didn't win this came out and now that this is out these people are in trouble if these same people who carried out the crimes are going to investigate these same agencies are going to investigate these people but I believe it's so deep you might see a few like uh, off, like James Comey you'll see a few sacrificial lambs but they'll never get to the root of the problem I would bet when this is all over I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Strauch still had his job. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, if he's not gone now, if he's not... I just don't see where the justice is coming. I do have hope, and I'll continue to have hope, 
But I don't know. Uh, it seems each piece of information that comes out further implicates these people, yet nothing happens. And the media spins it as something negative against President Trump. <laughs> well, they're going to have to spin. They're going to have to spin overtime on this one. Uh, if there's only, if you only have limited time to sort of get, bring yourself up to speed on this, uh, my recommendation again would be the piece from the Gateway Pundit that Joe just read from, uh, this piece from National Review, and then jump over to Julia Manchester's piece at the Hill. If you can absorb those three articles, take you probably 15 minutes, then you'll be up to speed. But Joe, we and then there's to, one more. Uh, yeah, there's please. one on Bloomberg. Who leaked the Cohen Bank report? It may not be secret for long. Whoever gave the Stormy Daniels attorney, Avenatti, the paper trail on Cohen's financials, that person is going to be outed, and what they did was a crime. So uh, that's another piece of information. I hear a howling. Do you hear a howling? I do I do hear a howling. I think that we're uh, per- perhaps... You Perhaps your prayers, listeners, are, are keeping the wolves at bay because there is a there's a howling. Yeah, oh. it's a good... nonetheless, the uh, hounds of the Baskervilles aside, we need to be mindful as well that that these characters who perpetrated and paid for this entire collusion story, starting with what Joe and I call the creative writing project or the Christopher Steele dossier, these people should have never even been in a position to run for the leadership uh, chief executive. Uh, of this country in the first place. Why? Again, back to Andrew McCarthy's piece. Quote, the Clinton case was a criminal investigation that was predicated on a mountain of incriminating evidence. Mrs. Clinton does have one legitimate beef against the FBI. Then Director James Comey went public with some, but by no means all, of the proof against her. And Joe, that's where Comey made a mistake. It is not proper for law enforcement officials to publicize evidence from a criminal investigation unless formal charges are brought, end quote. And I would also just point out, just for the sake of of integrity here, during the Obama administrations, and I'll pick one from each administration, from his first outing, uh, if if the mainstream media had done their job and covered the 2011 uh, uh, signing of the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, if Americans had really understood what that said and the fact that it was it was earmarked to the defense budget and that it said from, from now on America, the 50 states are a battle space in the war on terror and American citizens can be held without writ of habeas corpus and without charge. If they understood that, that would have been a political scandal of the century as well. Moving to Obama's second administration, if they had understood... Uh, for example, what happened with the Secretary of State and her email situation, if that had been properly prosecuted, mm-hmm. again, it would have been an enormous scandal. Sedition, for sure, if not full-blown treason. And, Joe, that doesn't even begin to tackle Benghazi. So, again, from my point of view, uh, these Clintons and the Clintonistas should have never even been anywhere near the White House <laughs> in 2016. And what do they do? They project all of their chicanery, their yes. skullduggery, directly onto President Trump. No, that's what they do best, that, that projection. And that's, you know, probably where the Russian collusion story started. They probably were, you know, had a, a few ideas on a whiteboard and, and say, uh, you know, which one of these can we make stick against the president and or against then-campaign Donald Trump. But the article that you pointed out on National Review, I, the last two paragraphs summarize it so perfectly. And what it says is the FBI did not have any evidence, otherwise it would have opened a criminal investigation. On the contrary, they, the Bureau opened a counterintelligence investigation in the absence of any incriminating evidence or evidence implicating the Trump campaign in Russian espionage. 
And it goes on to say the FBI collaborated with the CIA to probe an American political campaign using foreign intelligence, surveillance, and informants. And that's your crossfire hurricane, the article ends with. And that's uh, a great point because this is just absolutely off the charts. Uh, when we look at the, the scope of what is happening, you have still this investigation that has been proven to be set up without any underlying crime as a conspiracy against candidate Trump is still ongoing. The media is still giving it legitimacy because they are in the bag for the, this, this globalist agenda. And when Michael Cutler comes on, we're going to talk about immigration. Uh, you know, there's another side of, of this. We're seeing the pushback against the Trump administration in the media, the pushback against the administration legally. We see it by the deep state all over the place. And here, uh, there's some articles about the illegal immigrant numbers. White House, U.S. choking on 10.7 million legal immigrants. And that's on top of the 10 plus to 30 million illegal immigrants that we have in this country. And we see that the Trump agenda is getting pushback from the media and from the deep state and the political establishment at every turn trying to uh, put more security at the border, trying to fund the wall, trying to push through laws that will let the immigration laws be enforced in this country. So you have this same apparatus that was used to conspire to set up President Trump is the same apparatus that is fighting his agenda at every turn. And it, I mean, you know, what can you do? Well, well, one thing is, is definitely not to be a broken record here, but, uh, this piece by Andrew McCarthy is certainly worth reviewing. Again, this is the National Review piece we keep referencing. It says, opening a, this is a direct quote, opening a counterintelligence investigation against Russia is not the same thing as opening up a counterintelligence investigation against the Trump campaign. Now, this is the key here. Again, direct quote. The media Democrat complex, I, I like that, Joe, the media Democrat complex yeah, that's good. has tried from the start to conflate these two things. And I would argue parenthetically, they're trying to conflate all kinds of things, but let's stick with what McCarthy says. That explains the desperation to convince the public that Putin wanted Trump to win. It explains the stress on contacts, no matter how slight, between Trump's campaign figures and Russians. Let's say emphasis on the word slight. They are trying to fill a gaping void they hope you don't notice. Even if Putin did want, this is the takeaway right here, even if Putin did want Trump to win, and even if Trump campaign advisors did have contacts with the Kremlin, with Kremlin-tied figures, there is no evidence of participation by the Trump campaign in Russian espionage. Mm -hmm. And there it is. That's that's right. And, uh, you know, we, I think, what more can we say about it? We're going to continue to get more information. We're going to see the Inspector General report come out that is going to uh, give us some more insight. As I said yesterday, it's going to add another dimension, another piece to the puzzle. And, you know, we're going to have to break this down, really, and put together a comprehensive report of all the things that have happened, like a timeline, uh, you know, when the uh, conspirators met in London, when the in investigation started up until today, including, you know, piecing together the timeline with the Strauch and Page text messages and the actions of Comey and, and all these other people. We're going to have to do our own investigation because we can't depend on the people in D.C. to 
properly investigate anything. What we can depend on them for is to comply with Freedom of Information Act requests, which is what Judicial Watch does. And this is why Judicial Watch is so important in this fight, because they are filing the proper lawsuits to get the information. They know exactly what questions to ask. And even though they don't get everything they ask for, they have been able to expose this crime, this criminal conspiracy for what it is. So we're going to continue to put these pieces together and do our own investigation and have some kind of detailed report at some point, I guess, is what we need to do. And we will. We will. I had the opportunity to speak with a regular Hagman guest, Tracy Beans. She's been on with us many, many times in the last three or four months, and we really appreciate all of her hard work. But I spoke with her offline yesterday, and I am at liberty to say, Joe, that she has been working extremely long hours. I'm talking two full-time jobs back-to-back every day Tracy's been putting in, moving through, parsing through, analyzing, Joe, 2,400 pages in anticipation of the Office of the Inspector General report that could drop any day. This is almost like hashtag release the report 2018. And when we see what Inspector General Horowitz, as well as, help me with his name, the attorney out of Utah. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Forgive me, listeners. I can't remember. The counselor that joined early last week. There's going to be a lot of answers to these questions at that time, and that could be almost any day. But in the interim, Joe, we are paying through the nose at the pump. Yeah, the oil. In northwest Pennsylvania, it's getting scary. No, it's not scary yet. The oil prices went up to $80. No, it's not scary yet. $80 a barrel, and gas, as we've been saying, has steadily gone up over the last two months. Probably a good 50 cents. It's about $3.10 a gallon here now. And I imagine it's going to get much higher as the summer months make their way here. So we're probably looking at about $3.50 gas. When it gets to $4, then I'll start to get concerned. But it is expensive, but it's manageable. When you look at gas prices across the world, even in Canada, you know, you're talking some places $10 a gallon, $14 a gallon. So if it goes up, you know, but, yeah, it does hurt. It does hurt in the pocketbook, and you do notice it. Another thing I wanted to mention that we talked about before the show, and we can ask Michael Cutler's opinion on this too, the how many people saw the deportation bus political ad with the Georgia governor candidate, uh, Michael Williams? He did an, an ad. If you haven't seen it, you can go on, not YouTube, uh, just search Georgia governor and YouTube on Google or any search engine, and you'll find the stories. But he did a video with uh, his campaign bus, and he called it the deportation bus tour. And what's funny about this is YouTube has removed his ad, removed the video from YouTube, because they say his video violated hate speech laws. (laughs) This is so funny. But it also is amazing and shows how crazy social media censorship is getting. GOP candidates' deportation bus ad briefly removed from YouTube for violating hate speech policy, and uh, it was taken down. It might, I think it, they said it was put back up. It was, yeah, 2 p.m. By 2 p.m., the video was put back up. But this guy is the, he's running for governor of Georgia, and he's a state senator in Georgia, and he did a deportation bus tour uh, because 
to the state sanctuary cities to promote his pro-deportation policies. And this is the kind of stuff we're going to see in the 2018 midterms. And we talked about this before, the censorship aspect and how it factors into elections. Imagine social media organizations and Internet uh, and news media allowed to censor the political opponent or, in this case and in every case, the Republican side. They can, you know, shut their messages down by saying, oh, this is hate speech or uh, this is not friendly to our community guidelines and on and on and on. What of a more effective way to affect elections and people's, uh, you know, the influence that you can have on, on people? Well, that's one way. Uh, uh, Max Greenwood, uh, writing for The Hill, notes uh, that the this uh, headline, gubernatorial candidates deportation bus. And that is really what they're calling this, the deportation bus. And, Joe, you've seen pictures of it. It looks kind of like a prison bus. Yeah. It's, it's got, like, the bars and the heavy mesh on the windows, etc. Yeah. But this from The Hill. A gubernatorial candidate's deportation bus breaks down during tour. The so-called deportation bus that a Republican gubernatorial candidate in Georgia is taking across the state broke down on Thursday after water got into the fuel tank. <laughs> Now, I'll skip down a little bit. Uh, Senator, uh, or I'm sorry, Seth Weathers, a spokesman for Senator Williams' campaign, uh, said that, quote, a closer watch will be kept on the bus while we are making stops. Uh, Seth Weathers goes on to say, quote, we certainly would not blame this on Antifa, hmm. who are openly plotting to damage or destroy the bus. That's uh, funny. He says, we know the left would never stoop to such a pathetic no, low. never. Uh, you got to get, I don't know, Joe, where, what's your gut on this? I mean, do we appreciate what Senator Williams Oh, absolutely doing I do. I mean, because he flagrant. <laughs> I, no, absolutely I do. Because he, if you uh, listen to what he says and some of the uh, stuff that, that he's doing is strictly for, uh, it's like a, a campaign uh, promotion ad. He says he's not, there's not going to be any illegals that are going to be put on his bus and deported. It's it's more of a symbolic uh, gesture of his policies that he wants to uh, abide by when he's governor, specifically ending sanctuary city policy. So I don't have a problem with him doing this, and obviously the left always freaks out anytime they disagree or get triggered by something. So no surprise that Antifa is openly plotting to destroy this uh, <laughs> campaign promotion tool. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Rob Shimshock of the Daily Caller. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report, we have a great guest coming up, Rob Shimshock from the Daily Caller. He writes and and focuses primarily his reporting on education and educational issues. Uh, and we got his piece here: school banned student from saying Jesus and Bible verse in speech until nonprofit group got involved. And we're going to talk about these this story and much more uh, in this segment. I want to mention this really quick. The volcano in Hawaii has had a new eruption. 
And there's some pretty cool graphics if you get a chance to look at them. The eruption at Kilauea Summit sends ash plume miles into the air. 30,000 feet into the sky, residents are told to shelter. Now, what you see there is uh, a view. Now, I don't know if that's really from space. I think the article says that's from space, but that one looks a little close unless it's zoomed in. But there are some pretty interesting graphics out of Hawaii. There you go. There's one of them that might be from the International Space Station. But the uh, volcano, Hawaii's Kilauea volcano, erupted from its summit early Thursday morning, shooting huge plumes of ash into the sky. And they are having a mandatory evacuations of certain areas of Hawaii. Some 2,000 people are prompting, uh, or they are being prompted to leave their their houses. Houses. Ugh. So they, and they also think that what's interesting about this is that this latest eruption is uh, a precursor to a major eruption, and scientists believe the volcanic activity may be a precursor to a major eruption similar to the one that took place in the mid-1920s. But they say they expect no loss of life given that most of the exposed residential areas have been evacuated and the region where the location of the volcano is located on that part of the island is not densely populated. But either way, uh, they are expecting a much larger eruption. So keep your eyes on that. That's uh, pretty interesting. You know, Joe, I, I always like to, to take a quick look at history when we see things like what's going on in Hawaii today, and I think we've heard a lot of people sort of say, well, they live there, they're used to this, so on and so forth. Um, they had a, an eruption of ash spew 30,000 feet, 30,000 feet, the same height essentially that a, that a commercial airliner flies, more or less. Um, and uh, that's all over mainstream media today. So I took a look at May 18, 1980. Joe, that was the eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State. And that, uh, the ultimate, the, the largest eruption uh, went 80,000 feet uh, up, wow, into the, up into the, the sky. Okay. I believe that penetrates into the lower atmosphere, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but before we uh, bring on Rob, uh, he, he wrote an article, an interesting piece about a young lady at Cornell whose primary concern was about treating refugees as resources rather than burdens. Okay, that sounds sounds interesting. You know, we, we have enormous bodies of people moving all over the globe from the, from the Islamic uh, soft invasion of Western Europe to uh, the, the Muslim presence in Canada and even in cities like Detroit and along our northern border, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul region, but Joe, there was something I found that really disturbed me, and this is from uh, this is from AP News, APNews.com. Get this: Chinese mass indoctrination camps evoke cultural revolution. I'll just give people a quick piece of this: Chinese authorities in the heavily Muslim region of Zhejiang have ensnared tens, possibly hundreds of thousands of Muslim Chinese, even foreign citizens, in mass internment camps. The takeaway here, uh, folks, is since last spring, Chinese authorities in the heavily Muslim region, uh, okay, uh, they've ensnared hundreds of thousands of people in mass internment camps. This detention campaign has swept across Xinjiang, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, a territory, get this, half the area of India, leading to what a U.S. commission on China last month said is, quote, the largest mass incarceration of a minority population in the world today. Now, now this is a big article, but people can find it at apnews.com. Uh, it was published today, and it just got me thinking about about 
indicators of instability. And one of the keys is when you see migration of people, when you see enormous bodies of people and cultures moving around to other areas that heretofore they were never part and party to. And this bothers me in China in particular because we've seen so much in the past uh, six months about, Joe, the Chinese social media score. And I will continue yeah. to follow this story, but here we have, they're, they're, they're preventing uh, travel in China based on your social media score, and we have as many as hundreds of thousands now of Muslim Chinese being placed in indoctrination camps. Scary stuff, Joe. Yeah, and, you know, China, and both China and North Korea over there, I don't understand. I mean, they, they talk about the persecution of, of churches and, and Christians and uh, the oppression of churches. It's uh, it happens over there constantly, and uh, never surprising to hear stories like that, John. But very sad. I'm gonna have to keep that one on my radar as well. But we have with us now uh, Rob Shimshock. He's an author for the Daily Caller, uh, and he's got a very impressive uh, background. He graduated from the University of Virginia. He also is a contributor to the Rebel Media, where he reports on university campuses and provides video commentary. He also uh was with Breitbart News for a while, but we have him here now with us, and he's currently writing for the Daily Caller. Rob, welcome to the Hagman Report. We we can see you, but we don't have any audio coming from you, so Eric will try to get that worked out. Um, what you were just talking about, John, the Chinese, what they're doing there, and tying that into oh, the it's unbelievable. Christian... Um, you know, oppression and persecution. This article from Rob School banned students from saying Jesus and Bible verse in speech until not pro- until nonprofit got involved. Again, this is in America. A Colorado university reserved its ban. I'm sorry, reversed its ban on a graduation speaker's references to Jesus and the Bible after a Christian conservative nonprofit got in touch, according to a Tuesday report. Colorado Mesa University told nursing graduate Carissa Erickson, and I think we we have Rob, that her speech must be free from any one religious slant. But it changed its tune after receiving a letter from the Alliance Defending Freedom, according to Campus Reform. We're seeing examples like this all over the country, and it's pretty frustrating to see this continuing in America, in a country that was established with, uh, you know, basically the 100% of the population were Christians, Bible-believing Christians, at its inception. And look how far we've come to today. But, Rob, from the Daily Caller, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thanks so much for having me, Doug and Joe. Well, it's great that you're here. And um, Doug, my father, he is uh, in the office doing some other stuff. John's co-hosting with me, and uh, he's he's here with me. So, Hey, Rob, welcome to the program. How's uh, it going? Oh, we're, we're really, uh, we're really grateful to have you join us this evening. And we, we use Daily Caller pretty much almost every day. And a, and a friend of ours who's been on the show off and on for the last two years, Andrew Kerr, I understand has recently relocated over to Daily Caller and is, uh, is working, uh, with your team over there. But, uh, my goodness, you cover so much. Okay. Uh, let's start with what Joe was just talking about. School banned student from saying Jesus and the Bible verse. In a speech until this nonprofit got involved. Rob, why don't you grab it from there and, and just walk us through this? Yes, so this is a story actually you see nowadays that the real guardians of free speech on campus 
don't happen to be the administrations that should probably be taking responsibility and making sure that students can speak their mind, but instead non-profit, non-affiliated non-profit groups that will get involved on the students' behalf. So in this case, I believe it was, it was the Alliance Defending Freedom, and this was at Colorado Mesa University. They had previously told nursing graduate Carissa Erickson that her speech must be free of any religious slant. But then after this nonprofit defending freedom got involved, they changed their tune. And it's actually kind of funny because they said in the letter to Carissa that um, they, they used language such as they're very tired of, like, defending or, like, arguing with her about using, uh, you know, like a Bible verse and using Jesus in her speech. And whenever the Alliance Defending Freedom wrote back to them, they're like, you know, the, the First Amendment doesn't really care if you're too exhausted to defend free speech. You still have to do it. You know, we see this really disturbing trend across the college, all the universities here in uh, in America, and especially in, in even the you know the Ivy Leagues, we're seeing this. I see you recently wrote a piece on the University of Michigan. I uh, I've been to Michigan University before. Went to a football game there, uh, and my family are all Michigan fans, and uh, you know they a few of them went to Michigan. But I've seen some really disturbing things about basically letting the students with this. Uh, insane ideology, the social justice, political correct ideology, letting the students take over and, you know, create safe spaces, this and that. What's going on at the University of Michigan? You write that they're pumping a huge amount of money into diversity and uh, inclusivity type programs. What's going on in Michigan? Right. So it was recently found out by an American Enterprise Institute scholar that they're actually giving to their employees in their diversity inclusion department around $11 million in salaries and benefits. And this is distributed to, I believe, a little less than 100 employees that are there. And so the top guy there, he makes about 400 k And you look at these terms that they're throwing around, diversity and equality. Diversity seems to be a lot of the superficial types of diversity we're used to hearing about, racial diversity, sexual diversity. But it doesn't seem to be intellectual diversity, which is, of course, what leads to the fruition of Western societies. And whenever they talk about equality, they usually use the word equity, which does not mean equality of opportunity. It's usually a proxy for equality of outcome instead. Yeah, and it, it's a, just really amazing. And we see, you know, every generation sees its extreme, you know, the, the people who uh, demand things, they, they, they protest everything that's going on from capitalism to, you know, the, the wars and whatnot. And we saw this, the, the counterculture in the 1960s, but... What's different from the, those movements to today is today the media and the political establishment seems to be embracing, uh, you know, this, these extreme ideologies and viewpoints. And that, that's what's so frustrating. And I guess I want to ask you this, because you're reporting on this stuff all the time. Are these universities and the whole college institution, is this hurting? Are they hurting themselves? Are they seeing, you know, uh, people deciding not to go to these very liberally minded schools? And, and they're finding them, their, their numbers are dwindling, uh, or, or they, is this not having a negative effect on them? So I think what still is keeping a lot of the four-year universities in business is this kind of, um, you know, glorified ideal we have still of the four-year diploma. And it is, uh, unfortunately, you could say, still a gatekeeper to a lot of jobs. Now, we are seeing a resurgence in, uh, you know, the, the two-year degrees. We are seeing a resurgence in, like, the vocational schools that teach actual practical skills that you could use instead of just, like, ideology. 
But yeah, it does seem to be the, the case on many college campuses that you have this vicious cycle in which the students are at first indoctrinated, but then they begin calling out their professors, those who are not as extreme as they would like them to be. And so this leads to things like, I'm sure you remember the Evergreen State University, uh, Evergreen State College last year. Oh, yeah. Where they had a but they had the day of absence during which whites were expected to vacate campus. And it does seem to be that a lot of these initiatives are coming from the bottom up, bottom up now because these students have been used to, you know, reading the Frankfurt School scholars. They've gotten this ideology and they've, they've picked it up pretty quickly. And um, you have this very homogenous culture in which dissent is <laughs> frowned upon, to say the least, or in Brett Weinstein's case over at Evergreen State, it leads to a lot worse things in which he actually fears for his life. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, that guy was so liberal, and he agreed with these people, but just because they, he did not behave in a manner that they wanted him to, they threatened his life, and he had to, he did all these interviews uh, talking about that. But yeah, political correctness gone wild on campus is definitely an issue that we, we have today, and I don't know that anything is is going to stop that trend uh, unless, you know, the universities start instituting policies and taking back the uh, platform for what is supposed to be a tool of, of education and learning not to, uh, you know, squander free speech and, and oppress free speech. Are we still seeing the pushback as we did when President Trump first was elected and inaugurated? There was, a you know, all these protests over conservative speakers at colleges. We haven't seen the seen that in the news too much recently. Is that still a big thing that's happening? So I do see a few glimmers of hope. One of the places where I see this is um, particularly the, the new counterculture, I think, uh, inarguably, is conservatism, is libertarianism, is even classical liberalism. People who, you know, respect free thought and want to see a variety of opinions out there. And you see this manifesting a lot of times on college campuses with these groups. You have these very... Uh, you know, valiant, uh, college Republicans chapters, different campus groups that even just, you know, uh, they're moderates and they want free speech. They want a variety of opinions to be invited. You do, as you mentioned, you see the, as, as I mentioned previously, you see the nonprofits that are stepping in to defend these students. And each time one of these groups does this, it really sets a precedence because media outlets do pick up and report on these cases in which administrators are forced to sometimes very humiliatingly back down and, you know, recant their extreme hostility to perfectly reasonable positions and, you know, allow free speech in their universities. Another sign of hope, really, um, with Evergreen State, actually, this ties in, is that they were considering uh, pulling state funding from that school. So you do have legislatures. Of course, this was Washington State, so it's, it's not a very um, – it is a Democrat-dominated legislature that is unlikely to approve such a thing. But a lot of these schools, they are public universities, so you have to remember at the end of the day, they are supposed to be responsible to the public. And so one thing that, you know, I, I hope to do is to really shine a light on these instances. And, you know, lawmakers read the Daily Caller News Foundation. Lawmakers read Rebel, read and watch videos from Rebel Media. So um, that's really one way, another way in which the conversation is being influenced. And perhaps these administrators, whenever they see these things coming out, one thing, um, the Cornell story, you're talking about the girl who patient, what actually happened was I reached out to an administrator, and um, this administrator politely declined to comment. And so you could tell that, you know, these people who actually do have to deal with the outside world and aren't just entirely in the ivory tower, they have to deal with funding. They have to deal with alumni who don't want to see their school, you know, model 
mollycoddling these students and, and giving in to totalitarian instincts. So they are still, they have other stakeholders. And that, I think, is at the end of the day what's going to be the biggest um, game changer. Wow. Uh, you know, Rob, thank you so much for that, that summary and, and for really for giving us, uh, you know, a, a, a positive perspective. Uh, now, you mentioned Evergreen. Uh, we had another of your colleagues, uh, Scott Greer, uh, joined us uh, the day that happened, I believe, and, uh, and gave us some reportage. And that was just such a strange event, but, but uh, unfortunately not anomalous. We're seeing this happen now all the time. One of the things that we've done over the past couple of years is really focus on getting new, fresh information on the Hagman Report from people like yourself, uh, Ginger McQueen, Lexi Bess, Alex Nitzberg, uh, a lot of millennials who are conservative and who are, who are paying exorbitant amounts of money to get an education, but in fact what they're primarily getting is, is leftist, uh, indoctrination. Uh, that being said, Rob, uh, Joe and I were on a road trip a couple of weekends ago. We spoke at a conference in Ohio and we were curious about the total national debt scenario for, uh, for higher education. And uh, so we whipped out our iPhones and did a little research, and it looks like the the country's currently carrying about 1.3 trillion—that's with a T—trillion dollars in student loan debt. And this particular article that uh, sparked the conversation, Rob, uh, indicated that there were thousands and thousands of of graduate students who are unable to pay their their debt. Their credit ratings are in the toilet. Um, so what we see—it seems to me that what we see here—and I'd like to get your opinion on this, Rob—is we have the banks that need to keep the money scheme going. So the universities continue to raise the cost of education while, while concurrently indoctrinating many good kids that come from the silent majority families, so to speak. And then there's never a payoff. It keeps the banks in business. It keeps the government, uh, the quasi-federal lending institutions in business. And it makes the universities happy. You wrote a piece recently, Rob. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders urge IRS to scrutinize for-profit colleges. Now, I read the piece, and it sounds to me like these two major leftists are really carping because the DNC is not getting their mitts into enough of this massive slush of money. So, Rob, that was a big one, but why don't you take it from here? The cost of education and our 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 college students even receiving one at this point. So yeah, I definitely do think the financial side is is really something that must be examined. And um, you know, you know, students are they're paying for this education and they expect to be learning these skills. I think that employers are now beginning to realize, you know, as these stories get out increasingly that the students that are coming out of these institutions don't have the skills that they want, you know. And employers aren't particularly concerned about um, you know, for a lot of technical jobs what your politics are. They aren't concerned about, you know, how you can inject. Sometimes I've reported on different departments, even in the STEM fields, that are now seeing these pushes, these social justice pushes. And so I think at the end of the day, though, a lot of employers are starting to wake up and they are starting to realize that, you know, these students, however, um, you know, however much victims that they themselves may be, are also perhaps not the best candidates. We at, uh, on the for-profit side of the Daily Caller, uh, one of our really good reporters, he's now writing for Tucker Carlson, but he didn't go to college at all. He went straight into journalism, and, you know, he he, uh, he improved his skills with actual real experience. I know from personal experience, you know, University of Virginia, it's a pretty good school, and um, I was able to avoid a lot of the social justice type stuff, but a lot of my real experience did come during that internship I had uh 
I was actually under Milo Yiannopoulos with Breitbart. And so a lot of what I am applying to my current everyday job came from there and not the actual classes, which, you know, comprised many more months of my time. Rob, uh, Rob Shimshock, for those just joining us, uh, Rob is our debut guest uh, this evening, and we're so pleased to have him. Uh, visit shimshock.us, www.shimshock.us. That's Rob's blog. You can follow him on Twitter yeah. at Shimshock and Aw. Rob, we've got about three minutes. I'm going to ask you this. We're definitely, we'd love to bring you back for an extended conversation. Rob Shimshock, Daily Caller, what is the most dangerous thing being packed into students' heads at the university level at this time in America? So I would say that it, you have to take the whole ideology in its entirety, I think, because what students are being shown is that um, I, I would hark back to the whole diversity thing of which I was talking earlier, is that these students are learning these concepts that are really the bedrock of our society. You know, we are a society that's built on you know, diversity, equality, acceptance, tolerance, these values. But they're getting a very pigeonholed perspective of these ideals. So as I mentioned at the beginning, they're learning that equality is equality of outcome. Everything must be equal. We must, for, for some bizarre reason, have, you know, 50% of each gender. And, and, you know, now there are, of course, more, more than two genders, evidently, in each field. We must have, um, you know, equal representation of all these people. Diversity, of course, um, the progressives have remodeled this to encompass everything but intellectual diversity, which, of course, if you go out into the free market of debate, which really comprises America, that's the diversity that is of most importance. I think we can all agree. And so my biggest concern is that they're learning these concepts. Um, they're, they're learning, you know, even justice, the word social justice. Uh, it comes up in the context largely uh, of social justice instead of actual justice. And, yeah, they're learning these very important concepts that you think they would learn from an American perspective, and they're instead learning it from a discredited cultural Marxist perspective. So that, that's really my biggest concern, is just really on the, um, the, the, very, the very broad level of these students learning concepts that are American, but they're being in, entirely divorced from the, the actual principles our society has been built on. Well, very, very well said, Rob. And I want to urge our audience again to go to his website, uh, shimshock.us. Follow him and open up the Twitter link from there and subscribe to his social media. Uh, I was just checking out your Twitter page and, uh, I'm following you now, but the, I, I didn't see this story that you had posted yesterday. Pastor arrested at movie theater for preaching after Avengers. And, uh, I haven't read that story yet, so, and I like what you said, why am I not shocked that California freaks out upon hearing the word of God? Uh, wait, and just lastly, in the last few minutes we have, can you comment on, on this, uh, uh, I know we opened with the Jesus being taken out of the, uh, graduation speech, but the spiritual component in all this, as far as, you know, these people promote tolerance and, uh, diversity, but the second you mention Jesus or the Bible, they freak out. Do you think that's a spiritual thing? Um, you know, I think it is very important to consider that this is, you know, a society built on Judeo-Christian values, of course. And, you know, a lot of these things that I, that I was just talking about, you know, respect, diversity, equality, the real American uh, conceptions of those do derive from these texts. And so, yeah, with, with reference to that story out of California, I do think it is bizarre. And, of course, of course I try to see the irony in things, but it is a little disheartening. Yeah people's first reaction would be fear. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's it never. I'm always surprised when I see these these stories and how in, insane that they uh they are. And one example of this, uh, the college in Oswego, S U N Y, Sunny, they had a a student there give uh, at an open mic event say that uh, conservatives on campus are attacked for their beliefs by conservatives and while they're preaching tolerance and refusing to tolerate different political views a an employee at this college apparently told this this uh, student that gave the speech that other classmates were deeply hurt and that she was going to be barred from ever being allowed to to speak at this open mic night i i just i, I can't stress enough it is unbelievable when you see the faculty, when you see the deans, when you see the leadership of these universities embracing this kind of ideology. It tells me that, you know, there is no, no more, these are no longer institutions of learning. And I'm just so shocked at how far the educational system has fallen in this country just in the last hundred years. And with the increase of technology, you'd think it'd be the opposite, but it's not. But Rob, it was great to, to have you come on. Definitely love to have you come on again in the future. And we're going to continue to, uh, you know, report on uh, what you're reporting on and continue to do the, do the job, the great job that you're doing. Thanks so much. All right. Rob, well, what a, what a great guest. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the special thanks to, uh, to our dear friend Bill McIntosh over at Ocaso Media. Rob Shimshock, dailycaller.com. Joe. Yeah, and we just had uh, uh, Lexi Bess on, and she talks about these issues. But if you want to see how insane, and I know a lot of people will ignore the stuff like we just talked about, will ignore these examples of um, you know the, the political correctness and the attacking of, of conservatives and free speech on these with these institutions. It is frustrating to watch, but we got to pay attention to it because you know they continue to push further and further and further. You give them an inch, they take a mile, and it, there's no end in sight until they have complete control over not only your behavior, but your thoughts. And that's what they're going for. We'll be right back with Michael Cutler after this. And welcome back to the Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Michael Cutler, former INS agent, and yeah, we got a number of things to talk about with him. Uh, some mostly about immigration, but we're going to go anywhere else he wants to go. Uh, during the break, I was talking. We were talking here, and I was just saying how some days are better than others when you are doing this and you're on the radio when you're talking for a living, and and when you're talking for three hours a day, four hours a day on air. And sometimes you get like these shorts in your brain where you where you can't articulate the words. <laughs> the words you want to say or sometimes uh, the thoughts that you have in your mind that you're trying to get across it comes out garbled sometimes and uh, I think I'm having one of those days but the uh, immigration issue what we covered in the first segment about the latest on the numbers 10.7 million legal immigrants on top of the 11.3 million reported illegal immigrants we know that number is closer to 25 or 30 million uh, they're saying is putting a stress on our system and is doing so at the expense of taxpayer, uh, the taxpayers back and other U.S. citizens. And this reports from the Washington Examiner. Enough, the White House says, choking, U.S. choking on 10.7 million legal immigrants and refugees allowed in over the last 10 years 
are in addition to the 11.3 million illegals. Our expansive humanitarian-based, family-based, lottery-based immigration system fails to consider the needs of American workers and taxpayers who have been burdened by decades of low-skilled immigration that has suppressed wages, fueled unemployment, and strained federal resources, said the White House. It cited reports that may that many come here and end up on taxpayer-funded welfare. Census data shows that current U.S. immigration policy admits large numbers of individuals who struggle to become financially independent. And instead of relying on a vast array of government benefits paid for by U.S. taxpayers, for instance, roughly half of all immigrant-headed households use one or more welfare programs, the statement says. It provided a staggering numbers of legal immigration under former President Barack Obama. The number of lawful permanent residents totaled 1.7 million from fiscal 2008 to 2017. The White House said that it is a population of foreign nationals that is larger than the entire population of Philadelphia. Anyway, the article goes on from there and talks about what they want to do and how they want to do it. But as we've been saying all along, every turn, everything that President Trump tries to accomplish with immigration policy, he has fought at every step of the way, whether it's the travel ban, whether it's uh, you know the border wall, whether it's funding, whether it's sending National Guard to the border. You have states like California saying, uh, no, Mr. President, we're not going to send our... Uh, our National Guard down there to do your bidding or to build your wall. Uh, we'll send them if they, uh, you know, can work in the mess tent or, you know, however that works. So, I mean, it's just crazy. Every time he tries to do something, these people turn around and throw it back in his face and say, no, you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. Well, yeah, the, the, the messaging, the messaging in this country has devolved to propagandizing the country. Now, we have a uh, special guest, Michael Cutler, joining us, michaelcutler.net, and Joe's going to bring him in in a moment. I'm going to take one minute just to place a little bit of financial context uh, or, uh, as a baseline for much of what we're going to discuss with Mr. Cutler. Uh, Joe, consider this. The number of people on the federal EBT supplemental nutritional assistance program, colloquially known as SNAP, uh, when George W. Bush took office in 2001, uh, that number was approximately 3.5 million Americans. It was it was less than 1% of the country, or about 1%. Not bad, okay? 3.5 million Americans needed the federal government to help them put calories on the table month in, month out. However, uh, when Barack Obama took office in January 2009, Joe, that number had jumped 400% to 14 million, or just over 14 million, again, supplemental supplemental nutritional assistance program. But this is where we really get into that economic hockey stick, where it becomes an exponentially growing problem, a compounded problem. When President Donald Trump took office in January 2017, we were at 48.5 million Americans who have to rely on federal subsidies, which is AKA known as your tax money, just to put enough calories on the table to subsist each month. And, of course, we will get Michael Cutler's take on this, but make no mistake about it, uh, listeners and viewers, as Christians, we need to have empathy and love for our brothers and sisters, but we also need to be wise, and we need to understand that much, almost pretty much all of what we're going to talk about here in the next hour, it has a price tag attached to it. Joe? Yes, it does. Michael Cutler is with us. He is a retired senior special agent of the former INS Immigration Nationalization Service, 
whose career spans some 30 years. He has been on this show uh, several times. Mr. Cutler, it's great to have you back on. Great to join you. Thank you so much for having me. <coughs> Anytime. <Pardon> it's, <laughs> we were just covering a report from the Washington Examiner detailing the extent of uh, the economic uh, impact that the both legal immigration and illegal immigration has on our uh, system and on the the burden on the taxpayers and possibly overlooking uh, other citizens' needs in in uh, favor of the immigrate immigrants' needs and uh, that you know is an argument that people always get into when talking about this is is it right to you know bring over millions of illegal immigrants who end up on a welfare system when we have other uh, homeless Americans and whatnot and we see this back and forth but I want to kind of take a wide screen angle shot of this and go back to what we were talking about with President Trump. It seems that everything the president is trying to do with immigration policy is obstructed by, you know, the deep state, whether it's federal judges or uh, other, you know, politicians. Is he ever going to be able to uh, get a a, a change in immigration policy with the the deep state fighting him at every turn, or or is the deep state going to keep him from doing that, do you think? Well, it's not just the deep state, it's both political parties. Look, Mm -hmm. the Koch brothers... Uh, are, are putting seven figures worth of money into what they're calling the um, the Libre uh, initiative to give illegal aliens lawful status in the United States. This isn't a left-right issue. It's a right-wrong issue because the globalists from both parties are in agreement. What they want to do is flood America with an, an inexhaustible supply of cheap foreign labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and an inexhaustible supply of clients for attorneys. Now think about how many members of Congress, including Republicans, are lawyers who practice immigration law. Do you think that they see a problem when they see all those millions of folks headed this way? Or do you think they don't see uh, clientele? You know, Alan Greenspan testified for Chuck Schumer back on April the 30th, 2009, about comprehensive immigration reform. And what he had to say was infuriating because he addressed the issue of illegal immigration, referring to them as unauthorized aliens. He acknowledged that most Americans don't like the idea of legalizing millions of people who came illegally. But then he referred to the American uh, workforce being impacted, in his view, uh, properly, or or they benefited from it, because they were suddenly developing this um, flexible labor source, as he put it. that he claimed only minimally suppressed the wages of American workers who lacked a high school diploma. Well, if you're earning minimum wage and your wage is minimally suppressed, you gain a new title. You're called homeless. We've never seen more homeless Americans than we do today. And I think that by flooding America, and we have been, with foreign workers who come from third world countries, where they're willing to settle for third world wages and third world working conditions, we have created this as the new norm. You know, 20 years ago, the meatpacking industry paid between 18 to 20 dollars an hour. 20 years ago. Today they're paying under 10 dollars an hour. <clears throat> so not only is the wage cut in half, but now let's take in, into account inflation. 10 dollars today does not buy what 10 dollars bought 20 years ago. So this, by design, is intended to drive down wages, suppress wages, displace Americans. We're doing the same thing with the high-tech industries, bringing in a flood of foreign 
computer programmers. And you have Republicans and Democrats alike who have family members who are executives within the computer industry who are doing everything they can to displace American workers and replace them with foreign workers from India, from China, from elsewhere, so that they can gain more in the way of profits. Again, both sides of the aisle are doing this. And now you look at how many Republicans are trying to bring DACA to a vote. Now, if we're going to talk about DACA, <clears throat> we have to talk about the national security implications. We also have to talk about the false narrative being created by the media. You know, I was just on NRA TV a little bit earlier today. Happy to do your show. Happy to do their programs. I'm happy to go anywhere I can to get the word out. But what infuriated me, it was a topic of discussion on the NRA program, was how the media has falsely claimed that Donald Trump has called immigrants animals. Now, stop and think about that. Because on that program earlier today, they played the actual tape of Donald Trump, President Trump, addressing the issue of gangbangers, drug dealers, child molesters, and so forth, and referred to them as animals. The mainstream media picked up on the term and said that the president was using the term animals to describe immigrants. And, of course, Chuck Schumer jumped up and said, oh, my God, my grandparents were immigrants. How dare he call them animals? That wasn't what the president said. But, again, the intent is clear. Both sides of the aisle are in on it. Why do you think the Republicans approved the budget without funding for the wall? Why do you think when the president says we need to hire 10,000 ICE agents, which I think is even more important than a wall, believe it or not, I agree. There's no money for it. And here's why interior enforcement is so darn important. One way or the other, illegal aliens who plan to enter the United States without inspection are going to succeed. Let's be clear. They may have to run the border five times. They may have to go eight times. Maybe they're ultimately going to fly to Canada and run the Canadian border. Maybe they're going to stow away on a ship. But if you are determined to enter the United States without inspection, you will ultimately succeed. Additionally, nearly half of all illegal aliens currently present in the United States didn't run the borders. They came through ports of entry, violated the terms of their admission. Most of the terrorists, in fact. That was their method of entry. What stands between those aliens who violate our laws and our borders and their goals? Interior enforcement. Right now, we have about 6,000 ICE agents, Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents, the job that I did. For 26 years, I was an inspector for four years prior to that. Those are the agents who not only arrest illegal aliens, they investigate employers who intentionally hire illegal aliens, they investigate fraud applications, think of the Tsarnaya family, the Tsarnaya brothers, of course, attacked the Boston Marathon in 2013. <clears throat> they committed political asylum fraud. They claimed they couldn't go back to their native country, and if they did, they would face persecution or worse. We gave them asylum. As soon as they got lawful status, they hopped on airplanes and flew back to Russia. Clearly, they lied. So what does Congress do? They say, well, we're going to make it a crime that if you go back to the country from which you were granted political asylum, we're going to prosecute you. Do we need that law? Absolutely not. That law is superfluous. You can charge an alien with committing fraud simply based on the fact that if someone says, I can't go back to my home country, you give them lawful status, and they immediately go back to their home country, <clears throat> and there's been no regime change, isn't that prima facie evidence that they lied? Of course it is. So why are we creating that new law? To create an illusion for the average American who's not paying attention, who's not thinking clearly, 
Well, they're addressing what the Tsarnaevs did. No, they're not. If you really want to address what the Tsarnaevs did, hire more ICE agents, so when people commit that crime of fraud, you're in the position to identify it, investigate it, make arrests, and seek prosecution. By not having agents available to enforce the law, it doesn't matter what the law says, that no one is going to enforce that law. Imagine if you crack down on speeders, but you have no cops with radar guns. Who's going to get a ticket for speeding? Nobody. But you can lay claim to the fact that you passed more stringent speed laws. Never mind, there's no cops out there to do anything about it. Again, why are they doing it? They want that supply of foreign labor to go undetected. Exactly. Think, think about how many people say, well, if we had mandatory E-Verify, it would end the hiring of illegal aliens. Think how foolish that statement is. And, you know, I do speaking events all over the United States, and I hear it frequently. Mr. Cutler, don't you believe, I mean, the Goodlatte bill has a provision that would, you know, take care of the problem, mandatory E-Verify. And I say, no, it wouldn't. Because all that the unscrupulous employer will do is what they've always done, and that's to hire people off the books. If you don't conduct a field investigation, how do you know if they're reporting all their workers? You know, we used to raid factories before I went to the drug task force, before I did other investigations. We all began by raiding factories. So if you raid a factory and you walk into that factory and you see 38 time cards on the wall, and 149 people working on the factory floor, isn't it pretty obvious that you got a bunch of people who are working under the table? Ex- How do you exactly. Know? You don't go there. Okay. So what do they do? They make certain that you never have enough agents so nobody ever knows that the crime is being committed. And who is aiding them? Every member of Congress who does not want to hire more ICE agents, and they can be found in both the Democratic and Republican parties. What and, there, and there it is. Uh, for our listeners and viewers just joining us, our guest this hour is return guest and really Hagman Report favorite, uh, Mr. Michael Cutler, michaelcutler.net, uh, and he is a prolific writer. Uh, he also hosts... The, yeah, uh, the, uh, the Michael Cutler Hour. Yeah, now it's, uh, it's on, it runs up against us, so a little friendly competition there, but it's Friday evenings on the USA Talk Radio Network, and, uh, uh, Mr. Cutler's been at this for some time. Uh, uh, Michael, what I'd like to do, by the way, welcome, uh, John Robertson sitting in for sure. Doug Hagman this evening, and it's always a privilege and an honor to sit in the big chair. Uh, let's just look at some numbers quickly. This is from census.gov. Uh, housing and urban development estimates, Michael, that there are 39,471 homeless vets on the streets of America on any given evening. Uh, usnews.com reports 554,000 homeless total in the country. Of those, 193,000, give or take, have no access to nightly shelter. And I just wanted to compliment what you said in your opening remarks, sir. That is up 9% in just 24 months. 9%. Now, we have 6,000 ICE agents to mitigate part of this problem. I personally, Michael, come from San Francisco Bay Area and L.A., so I've been around the the homeless problem, the epicenter of the homeless disaster in this country for most of my life. A uh, couple quick points, and I'll hand it back to you, sir. First of all, working in the restaurant and hospitality industry, uh, half of the staffs in the 1980s, 90s, and early aughts were, quote-unquote, illegal. Okay, They're working off the books. Uh, in addition to that, 
both San Francisco, where I lived in the mid-90s, and Los Angeles are becoming, in many, many neighborhoods, unlivable because right. there is such an enormous mass of humanity with nowhere to go. And I really appreciate what you just shared with our audience, and I'd like to echo it, and I'll hand it back to you, sir. There is no political motivation. There's no there's no righteousness in either party because at the end of the day, the Democrats want votes and the Republicans want rock bottom cheap labor so their corporate crony pals have a fatter bottom line. Yep. And these are the same Republicans who scream bloody murder about welfare for America's indigent who they help to make indigent, but aren't they really providing corporate welfare? Think about that. We don't want to give welfare to American poor people, but we will give welfare to the corporations that exploit cheap labor. Uh, you know, I wrote an article about how sanctuary cities, and of course you have a sanctuary state run by Governor Moonbeams, but New York isn't far behind. And what are they talking about? We have to be compassionate. We have to shield the immigrants from immigration. No, you don't. Immigration admitted the immigrants legally into the United States. You know, I began my career as an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport. hate to admit it, but it was way back in 1971. I can assure you that I admitted far more aliens than I denied entry to. Uh, it, was, it was like, you know, a hundred to one ratio or a thousand to one ratio. So the, the person coming to America did not have much to fear from immigration authorities, as it should be. Although I will tell you, clearly we're not doing a thorough enough job with the inspections process, and the proof is that nearly half of all illegal aliens enter through ports of entry and go on to violate the terms of their admission. But to portray the immigration agents as being evil uh, has an impact. In fact, assaults on immigration officers, that includes Border Patrol and ICE agents, has more than doubled in the past couple of years. Let's be clear. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. So we have flooded America with cheap, compliant labor, not just the bottom rungs, but high-tech industries. We're now educating our adversaries. Do you realize that we have 152,000 Chinese students studying the STEM curriculum in the United States, science, technology, engineering, math? We know that China has built an illegal artificial island in the South China Sea. They rattle their sabers at us. Don't you come too close or else. And those sabers were designed by engineers we trained. We know that China, Iran, and Russia are the most frequent state sponsors of computer hacking against American computers. This includes American civilians, corporations, law enforcement, government, military computers being hacked repeatedly, Every second of every day, 24-7, they're at it. Where did those computer hackers in China get their training? Likely, they got their training here inside the United States of America. Where do you think North Korea got the technology to build those missiles and nuclear weapons? Through China. Who educated China? We did. And so now there's a hearing that was held April 17th before the, the uh, Homeland Security Committee in Washington. Peter King officiating. Uh, and, you know, I've been before, I think we're up to 17 congressional hearings where I've testified before the House and Senate. Now, what's remarkable is how many times I've raised my concerns about sleeper agents. We used to hear about sleepers all the time. Every other show even had stories about sleeper agents. And suddenly people said, whoa, we better be careful. People are on to us. Terrorists could be coming into the country, violating immigration law and becoming sleepers. 
all of a sudden the word sleeper has kind of been eased out the door along with the word alien, although remarkably, when you talk about the DREAM Act, the A in DREAM Act is alien. So when you talk about the DREAM Act, the word alien is acceptable. Don't, just don't use it anywhere else. You can use the words, but only if it you know, pushes this fake, dangerous narrative. So we know about sleepers. Uh, I testified about it uh, a year or two after 9-11. I repeatedly testified about sleepers. The infamous Robert Mueller, when he was the head of the FBI, testified before the Senate and the House about sleeper agents. So let me tell you what a sleeper agent is, and now let me show you how dangerous the situation is. And our government, past administrations, members of Congress, they've created the vulnerabilities that, God forbid, are going to be exploited one day and get lots of Americans killed. A sleeper is a an alien, a foreign national. The term alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult there, folks. Just clarity. And if you're a swindling con artist like our Congress and like prior administrations, they're all swindlers. So don't say the word alien, right? We're going to call them immigrants. Well, alien is any person not a citizen or national of the United States. It's the legally proper term. It appears in our immigration laws. I insist on using true language and consistent language, unlike the charlatans who keep changing the words to try to obfuscate the truth. So an alien enters the United States stowing away on a ship, running a border, coming in as a tourist, coming in as a student, doing whatever it takes, and then they hide in plain sight. So when people say to me, well, why would you arrest an illegal alien if he didn't commit a crime? Well, he violated our sovereign borders, and that's dangerous because the inspector at the port of entry, that process, which, by the way, involves more than 60,000 people, including Border Patrol, the inspectors at the airports and ports of entry, and support staff, that costs us almost $14 billion a year. We're doing it ostensibly out of national security concerns. So when someone sneaks in, they're not entering undocumented. And that's not politically correct speech. It's newspeak. It's Orwellian. It's about trying to lie about the significance of what they've really done and how dangerous it is. So they come into the country, and they hide in plain sight. And how do they do it? They don't jaywalk. They don't spit on the sidewalk. They don't get into major disagreements with anybody. They smile at everybody. And they go about their business very quietly, and they're very polite, and they wave at the neighbor's little babies, and they pet the neighbor's little dog, and everyone says, what a nice guy he is. Meanwhile, he's here preparing to kill a bunch of us. You know, Mohammed Atta was, was stopped by police, and Atta was the ringleader of 9-11. Stopped by the police for speeding, I believe it was on the Jersey Turnpike, just a few days before 9-11. Without realizing it, if that police officer had taken Mohammed Atta into custody, 9-11 might never have happened. Think about what we're saying here. So Mohammed Atta's here. He was a sleeper. He didn't enter the United States at 9 o'clock in the morning and hijack an airplane at 10 o'clock in the morning. He was here for months and months and months. And, in fact, I testified at a hearing that was held six months after 9-11, went to everyone's shock and horror. It was determined, it was discovered, that Atta and another one of those thug hijackers uh, had um, been given permission to go to flight school six months after 9-11 because we were that inept. And if you watch the hearing, and it's still available, it's part of the permanent library on C-SPAN, I guess it's now part of contemporary American uh, history, that hearing, all the promises made by all those indignant members of Congress thumping the podium and demanding the answers, we're not going to allow this to ever happen again. 
None of those promises have been kept. So we know about the danger of sleepers. Again, remember the point. They don't come in and violate the law. They're not raping anybody. They don't shoot anybody initially. They don't commit crime. They look like nice, quiet members of the community. So if you enforce immigration law just by the principle of randomness, which, by the way, is a law enforcement tactic. It's one that was used in Operation Viper by Homeland Security to use TSA officials to stop trucks at random, 18-wheelers, looking for contraband and possible weapons of mass destruction. They invoke the notion of randomness. But again, don't say that because now it's going to go against what the government wants, not Donald Trump wants, but what the globalists in both parties want. So April 17th, there's this hearing. And I wrote a piece for Front Page Magazine. It was published on May 11th, just a couple days ago. The title of the hearing was Congressional Hearing, Iranian Sleeper Cells Threaten U.S. The subtitle, So Many Hearings, So Little Action. And, and so here, here is what, what I want you to, here's the takeaway. Um, the subcommittee posted this notice explaining why they were holding the hearing. Um, Iran, a state sponsor of terrorism, continues to invest in proxy terrorist and militant organizations that threaten the homeland and U.S. interests and engage in activities that impede U.S. counterterrorism goals. This hearing will examine trends in Iran's external operations and capabilities and consider the near-term and long-term security implications of Iranian support for Shia militants and terrorist groups operating in the Middle East Afghanistan, and wait for it, wait for it, Latin America. Yes, that Michael, I'm so glad that you went there. Uh, I want to draw our listeners' attention, as you said, sir, to uh, Front Page Mag. And, and, and Michael Cutler's been writing for Front Page Mag, uh, certainly uh, during his tenure of being a regular guest with us on the Hagman Report. I'm right. so glad that you segued to Latin America. And if I may, sir, I'm going to also sure. read a couple of your words verbatim. This from May 11th, 2018. <laughs> Uh, frontpagemag.com. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels, criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. This is this is critical here, listeners, viewers. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shiite communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. One more reason to uh, for our listeners out there that need a little nudge in the right direction to cease supporting things like your local community drug dealer because guess what some of that money is being funneled according to our guest Michael Cutler directly to Hezbollah Michael well and in fact that statement was made by one of the witnesses at the hearing a gentleman by the name of Dr. Emmanuel Otolenge of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies now there was another paragraph right after that let me read that pardon me the toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping drive drugs and people northward into the United States. Think of that. 
It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America. Okay? It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists in a continent-wide, now we're talking about Latin America now, continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. So understand the nexus between all of this, the southern border, the drug trade, the gangs, and one of the witnesses went on to talk about how there are, now catch this number, more than 200,000 members of Hezbollah, the Quds forces, the elite shock troops, all of whom have been heavily equipped and trained, and almost all of whom have served rotations in Syria, so they're battle-hardened. They've been in combat. They've been shot at, and they've been doing the shooting. These are trained, hardened soldiers, if you will, many of them now operating in Latin America, and it is believed that many of these people have entered the United States as sleepers. There have been a succession of hearings. If you don't believe it, go to Google after the show. Put in congressional hearings and the word sleepers, and you'll see how many hearings have been conducted for the last 15 years. Hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing. What have we done about it besides hold hearings? Maybe we need listenings. So we know that the 9-11 hijackers and the reason for the 9-11 commission and the reason for their reports was to try to make certain we don't fall victim to the same mistakes. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission because I've arrested and investigated terrorists during my career. What most people don't know, and the mainstream media certainly doesn't get it, <clears throat> is that the second largest contingent of law enforcement personnel who are assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, second only to the FBI because the FBI runs it, so as you would imagine, the FBI provides quite a few uh, warm bodies to do the investigations and so forth. The second largest contingent of law enforcement personnel assigned to investigate terrorists are immigration agents. Every single alien terrorist has violated the immigration law. The 9-11 Commission said many, some, most, let me tell you, they all violated the law, and here's why. If you come in legally, and remember, I did this job for four years, so I'm not speaking through conjecture. Most of the people that get on TV, the talking heads, are, you know, who do they bring in? Pollsters, political commentators, pundits, advisors. These people never did the job. They never got their hands dirty. They're clueless. They know what they got to say to get airtime. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, funny aside, I, I was being driven into a studio one day, and the driver was a gentleman, I believe, either from Russia or the Middle East. I don't remember. In New York, uh, many of the immigrants drive the vehicles. And the guy started laughing. And I said, what's funny? He said, you're going on TV, right? Because the studio, you know, hired us to bring you in. I said, yeah. He said, I don't know what you're talking about, but you must be a, a true expert. I said, how do you know? He said, you haven't picked up your phone except to call a friend and tell him you were going to be on TV today. And I said, and? He said, well, most times when they drive people into the TV studio, and here, was, here was his analogy. He said, they're working their cell phone like a crack addict looking for his connection trying to talk to somebody who could tell them what in the world to say when he gets in front of the cameras. He said, you're sitting there looking like you're ready to take a nap, 
So you probably know what you're talking about. I thought it was an interesting <laughs> observation. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Our guest, Michael Cutler, michaelcutler.net. Uh, Mr. Cutler, uh, let's do this. We are just, we're just at the uh, midway point of our time sure. together here this evening. Uh, I have a quick question okay. for you, and then I'd like you to enumerate some, some, uh, some possibilities of what you'd like to see. So the quick question is, please explain for our listeners uh, just briefly, the difference between ICE agents and Border Patrol. And then the second question, which is a little more extensive, uh, if you, Michael Cutler, with all, with 17 times testifying before Congress, and thank you for your service, sir, in, in doing that, uh, if, if you were all of a sudden positioned at the top of the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency tomorrow, uh, Michael, will you please give our listeners and viewers just an idea of some of the things that you would implement immediately that could get done in President Trump's first administration? If we could get the, the bums in Congress to stop obstructing, I could change America in 90 days. What do you think of that statement? The difference between ICE and Border Patrol, they enforce the same set of laws, but I can tell you that as an immigration agent, my biggest adversary for money, for funding, for resources was the Border Patrol. The emphasis on immigration law enforcement has always been about the Mexican border. That's nuts. Do we need to secure that border? Absolutely. I don't want anyone getting crazy and saying, oh, Cutler doesn't care about the border. No, after what I just read and what has been read to you, let's be crystal clear. This isn't an if or maybe it would be nice. No, this is something that should have been done 20 years ago. All right? Secure the Mexican border, period. By the way, isn't it remarkable that the country that how many years ago built the Panama Canal and the Hoover Dam can't build a wall that, that defends our nation. Just stop and think about that statement. The country that repeatedly sent astronauts to the moon and returned every one of them safely over 40 years ago with primitive technology. Can't get the job done. I had the privilege of meeting some of those astronauts, in fact. And you're going to tell me that we can't get the job done? This is willful on the part of crooked politicians. Forgive the redundancy. But here's the problem. Aliens are going to make their way into the United States, and that's where ICE comes in, depriving aliens their ability to do what they do when they turn to violating the law. Work illegally, we will find you, we will arrest you. There's a story now about how we're bringing in foreign workers from Eastern Europe, Latvia, Poland, and so forth, um, to do what? To do build it, to build the, the factories that foreign automakers are using to manufacture cars in the United States. And apparently it's being done with a wink and a nod from State Department. When I was an agent, if you came in on a, on a B-1 or a B-2, these are tourist visas, basically, and I caught you working, I don't care if you got here yesterday and had six months to remain in the country, by working, you're violating the law. I can assure you that my buddies and I would handcuff you right on the spot. There wasn't any conversation. We didn't have to pick up a phone and say, may I? This wasn't Simon Says. We handcuffed them, threw them in the back of the car, brought them into the office, and they found themselves in front of a judge within 24 hours, and usually within three days they were out of the United States because they were working illegally. This isn't victimless. If you lose your job, and now you're about to lose your home to foreclosure, if you lose your medical insurance and you have a sick family member who's desperate for medical treatment and you can't provide it because you were fired and don't have insurance, that's a crime, and you've been robbed. And the workers who work illegally, and I understand that they're the victim. Exploitation is not compassion. But those construction workers, according to a CBS report, were making $10 an hour, where an American construction worker 
would perhaps earn forty to fifty dollars an hour. My dad, may rest in peace, supported my mom and me by being a construction worker. He was a tradesman, a plumber. So this really hits close to home. So you have people who are stealing jobs. Don't tell me, oh, they're not criminals. They are stealing jobs and the ability of Americans to support themselves. We have millions of Americans who have been thrown into unemployment lines and out onto the street as homeless people because their jobs were robbed from them, aided and abetted by members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats alike. Understand, right now you have a chairman of a very important committee in, in the House who is a Republican and an immigration lawyer, and he's leaving in November or, this, or, or January. Do you think he's not going to practice immigration law when he leaves? So he's feathering his nest so that when he walks out the door, he'll have no shortage of clientele. Both sides of the aisle have done it. These are millionaires who don't give a damn that Americans are living hand-to-mouth and are scared to death that they could lose their job and lose their homes to foreclosure. So interior enforcement is what's necessary. You have to make certain that people understand that if you violate the law, there's a good chance you will be found, you will be caught, and there will be severe consequences. You know, it's only an immigration law that you hear this nonsense. We can't deport 11 million, so we can only give them lawful status. And then the Republican says, I'm tough. We're not giving them citizenship. We're going to put them on the back of the line. And the average dumb American says, well, that's it. Put them on the end of the line. End of the line for what? Ice cream? What do you mean we're going to put them on the end of the line? They're here. They are working. They've displaced Americans. They're sending money out of the economy. If you look at the remittances wired out of the United States by workers who are here legally and illegally, you include the multiplier effect. You know, the idea that when you earn a paycheck and you spend some of the paycheck to buy a new pair of shoes or a refrigerator, that puts another American to work. Well, when money is sent out of the country, the multiplier effect disappears. We're probably losing close to $200 billion in money walking out the door because of foreign workers here in the United States. You add the multiplier effect, and we're not even looking at wage suppression or the shrinking tax base, just the remittances. You know that that more than accounts for the annual increase in the U.S. national debt. Just that alone. This isn't minor. This isn't victimless. So any other area of law enforcement, you never hear people say, oh, we can't do anything about it. There's just too many people violating the law. There are more people who have driver's licenses and cell phones than there are illegal aliens in the United States. I would estimate the number now is probably 30 to 40 million, not 11 million. And that's why DACA is so dangerous. Because we could wind up with 10 or 15 million aliens falsely claiming they entered the United States when they were 12 years old, when in reality they're 35 and just got here last week with no capacity to do interviews and no field investigations. There would be no way of knowing who's lying, and the pressure would be on to clear the backlog, and the only way to do that is to rubber stamp approve them. So that's why this DACA betrayal by the Republicans now makes it clear. People say, why are you a Democrat? They say, well, I'm registered as a Democrat. Can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat. But you have precious few Republican heroes. You know, my friend Lou Barlett is running for the Senate. He's a good guy. Chuck Grassley, member of the Senate, I testified for Chuck five years ago, good guy. How many good guys do we really have in Congress? You can probably count them on the fingers of one hand. That's the problem that we have. So interior enforcement is the key. Not the lie, well, we can't do anything about it. And, and by the way, 
when the Republicans say we're not going to give them citizenship, that's self-serving because they know that these folks are likely to vote for the Democratic candidate. But here's how stupid the Republicans are. What's to prevent an alien who's given temporary lawful status or amnesty or anything else from marrying an American citizen, maybe making entering into a false marriage, no agents to uncover it because you have to do a field investigation. Once you marry an American, within three years of getting a green card, you're entitled to apply for citizenship. Don't you think those aliens are going to get citizenship anyway? These are all excuses and lies being told to the American people by politicians who promise to look out for their best interests, who promise to uphold the Constitution of the United States, and they're knifing those Americans and the country itself in the back. Not because they're in favor of immigrants. I'm in favor of immigrants. You know, let's be honest. I'm first-generation American. My mom came to the United States at the age of 13. We're Jewish. Her mother was killed in Poland. I was named for her, my grandmother, because of our religion during the Holocaust. I'm not opposed to immigration. That's another lie. If you dare suggest that we exercise control to keep people out who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, or keep out foreign nationals who would displace American workers, you're accused of being anti-immigrant when nothing could be further from the truth. And they are rewarded by being referred to as pro-immigrant when in reality they're anarchists. You know, nobody ever says we can't go after the motorists who text and drive because there's too many such motorists. The commercials convince everybody that if you're behind the wheel and you pick up the phone, SWAT is going to descend on the car and pull you out of the car through the sunroof, right? You never hear people say there's too many people with driver's licenses and cell phones. So why do they say that about aliens? Here's the reason. Those politicians are desperate not just to allow those aliens to stay here, but they are trying to fire, and they have fired, the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. And it's not just from Mexico. And you know, this notion of Latino voters is a statement of racism. Why would any American, irrespective of what I call superficial differences, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, why would any American want to know that gang members are going to school with their children? Want to know that drug dealers are selling dope on the corner and they've got to go past that corner when they go to the store to get a container of milk? No American, irrespective of race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any such superficial factor, wants that to happen. So why do we hear the lie about what Latino voters want as though we're going to lump them all together in one group, kind of like you've seen one Latino, you've seen them all. If this isn't a glaring example of profiling, bigotry, racism, I don't know what is. Law enforcement legitimately profiles when they look at a totality of circumstances, the guy that doesn't fit into the community driving a vehicle without a town plate, 3 o'clock in the morning, there's 25 spaces where he could park, but he keeps circling the block, looking around furtively for somebody, he's probably looking for his drug connection. Stopping him is appropriate. But to paint with this broad brush and say, oh, Latinos are different from all other Americans, well, if you're differentiating people by their race, which is what they're doing, then you're a racist. Why aren't we calling those people out for what they are? How's that for an interesting thought? Yeah, you know, just listening to all the the great information and uh, examples that we're going we're going through here, it's just mind-boggling that 
we are unable to to make progress in in these long unwilling, not unable. unwilling, unwilling. Yeah, and I have to make that point. Unwilling. Going back to something you said in the beginning, did I hear you right that the Koch brothers are donating millions of dollars for Absolutely. illegal Absolutely. aliens? Absolutely. Yes, the the Libre Initiative. That's the name of it. The Koch brothers. They are listen. Their view is indistinguishable from George. Soros. How does that one grab you? Yeah, that's that's pretty surprising. And for those no, unfamiliar, the Koch brothers no, are the not. billionaire. I'll tell you why. This is why I'm not a Republican. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the Republicans have been at this for a long time. I'm going to tell you where the wheels came off the wagon. I will always be a hero and defender of blue-collar America. If you give me choice of having dinner with a bunch of hard hats who actually do something like my dad, I was always embarrassed to say I was going to work when I remembered how tough he had it. I literally carried him off his job his last day of work when he was dying of lung cancer. Uh, I was 19. He was 57. He smoked those damn Chesterfields, but he also worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. And he worked up until his very last day when he could almost no longer stand on his feet. And so when we talk about blue-collar America, they built this country. They are the heart, soul, spine of America. And then you've got thieving bankers, again, I hate to be redundant, who will tell you that three-card Monty is a product. Think about that, okay? So uh, my heart is blue uh, blue through and through as far as blue collar goes. But when the Democratic Party turned their back on uh, working Americans and decided that they were going to side with people who basically are interlopers, stealing American jobs, that's when the wheels came off the wagon. Because suddenly working Americans no longer had an ally in Washington. What do you think of that assessment? Well, you know, it's, uh, as it just uh, boggles the mind. And I guess what the, the gap here is, these people aren't, aren't Republicans. Because true Republicans would not be uh, conducting themselves like this. They would, these people mask themselves under a political banner. <laughs> To get yeah, votes, they, they, they've stolen. They've stolen the mantle that they that doesn't belong to them. Mm -hmm. Just like they're stealing our country. You know, I wrote an article a while back, and I called it the fencing of America. And I wasn't talking about a border fence. In law enforcement, the fence is a thief who sells stolen property. And as far as I'm concerned, most of these politicians are fences. They've stolen America, and now they're selling it to the highest bidder. It's called campaign contributions. Well, what do you think? Assessment. <laughs> what do you think we're going to see going forward with DACA, with uh, the wall? Will the wall ever get built? And I know you said it earlier. You'd rather see the uh, ten thousand ICE agents than the wall. And I agree with you. The wall seems to be more symbolic than anything else. And unless you, you need multiple layers, but are, right, are we going to see anything in, as far as progress? Well, look. It's about these members of Congress. And my dad used to tell me that I would be treated the way that I would demand that I be treated, you know. People in America have been stupid and lazy. I'm going to be blunt about it. You know, we are the employers of the Congress. When I meet members of Congress, I always call them by their first name. And I explain to them that I mean them no disrespect, but that's how I deal with employees. They're my employees. And this nonsense that we subject ourselves to because we hold people in high esteem because they were elected. I remember Barbara Boxer, I'm sure you remember that fiasco where she chastised a member of the armed services and said, don't you dare call me ma'am, you call me senator. I would have called her Babs at that point. <laughs> I mean, good gracious. I'm serious. 
You know, and I and I had the privilege of, of being on a panel discussion. I write for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I write for the social contract. In fact, they just published a booklet that I wrote, Immigration Fraud, The Lies That Kill. It was a spinoff of an earlier article I did for their quarterly publication. Occasionally write for Newsmax. I also plan to do some writing for some other websites. I hope it comes to fruition. But the Horowitz Freedom Center invited me to participate in a panel discussion in Florida a couple of years ago. It was a great honor to uh, sit on that panel with Congressman Louis Gohmert, Congressman John Fleming, and, and my hero, Jeff Sessions. Because Jeff Sessions had quoted me from the floor of the Senate 10 or 11 years ago when I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times, and I gave comprehensive immigration reform a new and more descriptive title. I came to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. I'm working on my candor. I don't know if I'm there yet. But the, the point was, when I met Congressman Gohmert, I, I said to him, I said, you're going to have to forgive me, but uh, I will be referring to you by your first name. He said, you know, when I was a judge, I wanted people in the community to call me judge only because I was sitting in judgment of members of the community I needed to insulate myself. But as a member of Congress, how in the world can I represent my neighbors if I put myself on some kind of a pedestal? He said, my parents named me Louie. It's my name. And he said, Mr. Cutler, you better call me Louie. I said, well, great. Then let's straighten something else out. Stop calling me Mr. Cutler. My name is Mike. So we both had a good laugh. And, and But this is true. We need to set the tone. We need to let the politicians come to the understanding that we're not as dumb as they hope that we are. We need to get our voices heard. We need to learn to stand up for ourselves and not back down and not be intimidated by the bullying tactic of the globalists. You know, I was in a debate on a college campus. Uh, I know we're short on time. So to cut to the chase, she was a Hispanic woman, came here from Peru, and when we got into a discussion about the third world and Mexico and so forth, she immediately chastised me and said, Mr. Cutler, your problem is that your view of the world is Eurocentric. And I kind of lit up like the 4th of July. I was going to teach debate on the college level. Um, I was undefeated in high school and college. I'd been doing this since I was a kid, and immediately the words just came to me. And I said, you, you bigoted racist, how in the world could you tell me that I have a problem because of my race, ethnicity, ancestry, and culture? What do you mean it's a problem that I have a European view of the universe or of the country, of the world? I said, do you understand that that's who I am? I didn't criticize you because you came here from Peru. How dare you criticize me for my background? And she said the worst possible thing she could have said. She said, I'm sorry. And I looked her in the eye. I said, are you really sorry? She said, yes, I've apologized. What more do you want? I said, well, I don't understand the apology. And she said, what does that mean? I said, well, look, here's the problem. If I accidentally stepped on your foot and said I was sorry, you would think I was demonstrating good manners. If I kicked you in the shin and knocked you on your rear end and said I was sorry, you would think I was a sociopath or a psychopath. So tell me, Professor, did those words fall out of your mouth by accident? Did you open your mouth a little bit too wide and those hateful words dropped out when you weren't looking? How in the world do you apologize to me after attacking me for my very being as a human being? Checkmate. <laughs> you see, and that's what, it, because she did that for a reason. And you know what the reason was? I am willing to bet you that in the past when she played that game, the person she attacked actually apologized to her. Yeah. Well, let me, from Brooklyn, I had enough schoolyard fistfights after three. I've learned how to handle myself. And I'll be damned if I'm going to apologize when someone else's fist hits me in my nose. 
You know, we've got to learn to stand up, and I'm not talking about firearms or, or violence, but verbally. Arm yourself with the facts. Please go to the website. Get the facts straight. And don't back down. Have those conversations. Make people accountable if they attack you. Don't allow anyone to intimidate you. Uh, my father told me that the only person who could intimidate me would be the person that I would permit to intimidate me. And I have yet to meet that person. What do you think of that? <laughs> no, you're right. You can't apologize when, uh, you know, you're getting hit in the face. You gotta no, fight back and they're bullies. As Americans. Yeah, and they're bullies, uh, you know, with, with their tactics while, while shouting, you know, for diversity and inclusivity and tolerance. They're the intolerant uh, bullies that we see. Michael Cutler, we only got about, uh, two minutes left in this segment. I want to talk a little bit about your show. Uh, okay. folks, go to michaelcutler.net and he's also on Blog Talk Radio, USA Talk Radio. Um, what do you talk about? I have not had a chance to listen to, to your shows. I'm sure you cover immigration. I used, to, I used but. to do interviews. I may be doing some more interviews. But generally, I just like to come on for an hour and do kind of what I've been doing on your program, looking at the key issue of the week, and believe me, there's never a shortage, and providing some texture, context, and perspective because the news isn't telling the truth. We know that. Very often they're not reporting on it. You know that old question, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? The better question is, if it's not reported on, does anyone know it fell? So <laughs> I try to make sure that everybody knows if a tree fell during the week, and I try to create an understanding as to why that particular issue is worthy of everybody's attention. Well, that's that's great. Again, folks, go to Michael Cutler. Dot net and go follow him on Blog Talk Radio as well as uh, social media. Uh, do you have a Twitter account? No, I'm sorry, I'm a techno dinosaur. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there maybe eventually. Everyone keeps asking me to do it. I don't even do Facebook. And you know, after Zuckerberg and his shenanigans, I've come to call it Facebook. So you know, what yeah. can I say? Oh, I can't stand the uh, the social media myself, so I don't blame you. At all. Uh, I want to thank you, by the way. I'm going to take a moment to thank you for the great work you do, filling the void created by the, the cowards and, and the clowns who call themselves journalists but certainly don't really earn that title. Well, thank you. You know, it's so important to, uh, especially today's day and age, with the fall of the mainstream media and the obvious propaganda and lies that they uh, spew out every single day, that there has to be pushback to it. And we continue to see our numbers grow because people are, uh, looking for the truth. They're not looking to be spoon-fed these uh, 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 globalist ideas and, and ideologies every day. And remember, there's only one version of the truth, isn't That's there? That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Michael Cutler, we hope to have you back soon, and uh, keep up the good work. Give me a holler. I'll be glad to join you. But please get involved, folks. You know, I always, I always say this on my show. I'll say it on your show. And I know it's a republic, but my phrase is that democracy is not a spectator sport. Really get involved. And spread the word to your neighbors. Have those conversations. Don't be afraid for a friendly debate. The First Amendment guarantees it. Let's make certain we practice it. Amen. Very well said. All right, folks. When we come back, we are going to be joined by Keith Hansen, then calls in the next, uh, the final half hour. Don't forget, redpillexpo.org. Use promo code Hagman. You get 15% off. With that discount code, also, all the way up till the very end of this month, you get the DVD series from last year, the Red Pill Expo 2017. It's a 10-disc set showcasing 14 speakers. But again, 15% off, promo code Hagman, redpillexpo.org. We'll be right back. 
back to this third hour on this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. We are going to be joined by Keith Hansen in just a moment. And then from 9.30 until the end of the show, we are going to take calls. And we'll put the number up on the screen and give that out uh, right when we let Keith go at the end of the segment. But we have with us Keith Hansen. He's the host of the Keith Hansen Show as well as a uh, brand new show that he has just started. And John, go ahead. Oh, yeah, this is, you know, Keith Hansen is one of, he's really one of the hardest working guys in our community. Uh, I would encourage our listeners to check out YCN News Vermont Rap. Now, YCN is Yankee Communications Network, I believe, Joe. So YCN News Vermont Rap with Keith Hansen. This is his new TV show. And of course, we will uh, check in with Keith and find out what went on this week. Keith. Welcome to the Hagman Report. It's great to have you back, sir. John Robertson sitting in for Doug Hagman once again. Well, great to have, uh, great to, great to be back on with you guys, John and Joe. And, uh, how's everything going on this, uh, outstanding Thursday? Well, I'll tell you, it's going better here in Northwest Pennsylvania than it is in Boulder, Colorado. Keith, I'm going to present this to camera. Uh, Boulder, Colorado unanimous, unanimously votes to ban assault rifles and high capacity magazines. It looks like they, uh, have decided that the residents of Boulder, Colorado, Keith, much like the residents of Deerfield, Illinois, uh, are somehow exempt from the Second Amendment. Mm. Well, you know, we have to do everything that we possibly can to get those evil, scary black rifles off of the street because, you know, they're, they're just, they are responsible. They, 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 they manifest spontaneous emotions and, uh, just go out and slaughter people en masse. And, uh, I for one champion that decision. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's about time we got some common sense there in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. What a bunch of absolute ridiculous stupidity. You know, it's, uh, you know, at least I gotta say this. You know, at least the progressive left is at least starting to show their true colors now. For years it's been, oh, we don't want your guns, we don't want your guns, we don't want your guns. Well, yeah, they do. And at least now they're starting to show that. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the intellectual honesty from the left, if we can call it that. Wow. It's ridiculous. I can't believe we just heard you say intellectual honesty and the left in the same sentence, but uh, point well taken. Interestingly, Keith. <laughs> It, it, it sounded weird, but uh, but coming from you, I'm going to take it at face value nonetheless. Uh, it Thank says uh, this article is from uh, this is from CBS News, um, and it looks like in Boulder, Colorado, they're going to give people they're going to in all their love and benevolence, they're going to give people till July 15th to quote dispose of the firearm accessories, and we're speaking of high high capacity mags and bump stocks, Keith. Or sell them. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on my basic gun laws, but is, aren't there issues about intrastate sale of either bump stocks or high-capacity magazines? For example, if you were to sell your high-capacity magazines from Boulder, Colorado to Los Angeles, California, you've just committed a felony. Uh, in, in terms of the accessories, I'm, I'm not 100% certain about what the, the, the intrastate laws would be. Um, the first thing that I would do is challenge you and on that statement, I mean, you know, not literally, but certainly the, uh, the administrators of Boulder, Colorado. What is a high capacity magazine? When they talk about banning a high capacity magazine for a sporting rifle, uh, an SKS styled rifle or an AR-15, what is a high capacity magazine? <laughs> well, can you, I'll can you tell me what that is. Yes, it, it, by, by the, the uh, definition that I found in the book of John, 
Roberson, a high-capacity magazine is one that has too many rounds in it for me to lay prone and obtain a proper firing position. Uh, we know, Keith, that, uh, <laughs> okay. we know, Keith, that, that, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that the AR style of rifle, uh, originally 20-round box mag, now, of course, 30-round box mag. But, uh, back to you, Keith. Go ahead and, and pick up your thought and, and let's get our, let's get our listeners this evening really aware of how tyrannical what they're doing in Boulder, Colorado and Deerfield, Illinois really is. This is 100% anti-constitutional, period. Oh, I, I agree, and, and I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately what happens is that the cities, counties, towns, municipalities, and states even um, are, are certainly free to pass whatever legislation that they want to, and the only recourse of the citizens is to get a group together, get the funds, retain an attorney, and then work this through years and years and years of, of court cases until eventually, if it is taken up on certiorari by the Supreme Court, it may be heard. And, you know, this is, I think, really the issue, is that the, the, there's, there's no penalty mechanism for the implementation or the drafting and signing into law of unconstitutional laws and, and, and regulations. And that's the, I think one of the one of the big issues. I want to go back to that that uh, that high capacity magazine thing for a second. Um, you, you know, the thirty round magazine is the standard in the sporting rifle. In fact, I was I was teaching a, a tactical rifle class, and um, we needed some smaller magazines for go bags, some ten round and twenty round uh, P mag style magazines for the for the AR fifteen rifle. Um, and and it, it took an effort to actually find a twenty round magazine because everything that is out there is a 30-round magazine. It's not high capacity. It's a standard capacity magazine. This is the industry standard. Um, so I, I certainly find that terminology curious. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that it's, it's, it's predicated upon a lack of understanding uh, of, of, first of all, what the device is, what the device does, and the device's role in, in, in certainly in shootings and, and, and mass casualty incidents in this country. Uh, in fact, just yesterday on my radio show, I was I was debunking a, an, an editorial that was published in New Hampshire Seacoast Online by a medical doctor uh, who came out and made a very blatant assertion that the AR-15, the military-styled weapon, was the preferred choice of active shooters in the world. When actually, in from 2000 to 2000, and you know I'm a stats guy. From 2000 to 2016, the Department of Justice, the National Institute for Justice, and the FBI have identified 242 active attacks, which, now, an active attack could be a knife attack, it could be a, a, a truck attack, driving a truck into a crowd of people, it could be an active shooter situation. So there's 242 uh, separate occurrences that would fall under the category of an active attack. Of those 242 instances between 2000 and 2016, only 26% of them, the most powerful weapon used, was a rifle. In 52% of those, the most powerful weapon used was a handgun. So if we were actually interested in banning the device that was the most popular device used by criminals with homicidal intent who walk into public places with the intention of, of, of engaging in aggressive, deadly behavior, well, we would certainly be eyeballing the common handgun because that is the weapon of choice, the most powerful weapon used in 52% of the documented mass shootings that have occurred in this country from 2000 to 2016. But, oh, wait a minute, we can't talk about that because it's not convenient to the narrative. See, and, and, and I've said this you know, before on this program, it's not about the guns. I don't believe in my heart of hearts it's about the guns. It's about the absolute despising 
of the people that choose to and tend to favor those types of weapons. That's what it boils down to. They don't care about the weapon. They care about the people because they don't like. They have a deep-rooted, visceral hatred for the types of people that own AR-15s. They don't like them. These are the people that identify as patriots. They identify as red-blooded Americans. These are the people that, by and large, occupy those vast swaths of the country, which is known as flyover country. Those, of course, are the areas where, well, we don't actually touch down unless we have to, as we're going from metropolitan location A to metropolitan location B to pander to political operatives or sip tea with social elites. But well, I digress. <laughs> and it's it's just insane, you know, the, the constant attacks on the guns. And we've seen uh, since the Parkland shooting, really the NRA come into focus as being the focus of the attacks. And I wanted to bring your attention and get your opinion on this, Keith. Debbie Wasserman Schultz yesterday... Characterized so brought that up. Yep. the NRA as just shy of a terrorist organization, and they are uh, talking about Parkland students pushing stricter gun control legislation that are engaging in civil terrorism. That's what Oliver North said. But what do you say to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's calling the NRA just shy of a terrorist organization? How crazy is that? Well, first of all, it's Debbie Wasserman Schultz, so it's, I mean, it's, it's just sheer stupidity. Um, I mean, this is, don't forget, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is the woman who was booted out of the DNC for rigging the election for Hillary Clinton, which was such a bad rigging job, by the way, that she couldn't even win an election that was rigged in her favor. But we don't have to talk about that today. Uh, certainly, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and her comments about the NRA being almost a terrorist organization. Well, you know, I can't recall the last time that NRA members at an NRA rally started to burn down buildings, smash cars, flip over cars, block highway traffic, and engage in rioting in large metropolitan areas. But I can recall those types of instances happening with Democratic operatives uh, which is closer to a terrorist organization, the National Rifle Association or Antifa? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, it's so funny that well, one of the things about Antifa that the mainstream media was, was really interesting to watch when all the protests from the inauguration to the Berkeley stuff to the violence was going on, they didn't really address it too much, and they would not mention the word Antifa until a certain point. And then they they attempted to justify and present Antifa as though it was some kind of, you know, civil rights activist group. And then that failed miserably, and they, they never uh, really brought it up again. But it's amazing, you know, they sit here and say the NRA is a terrorist organization. But like you said, they'll go and promote someone like Antifa. And this is just part, you know, of what we see every day. They're now saying also that the NRA was used to funnel money from Russia to the Trump campaign. Without any, oh. you know, facts or evidence. I mean, what's next? That the uh, the the NRA killed Kennedy? I mean, um, yeah, well, probably, probably, absolutely. Yeah, that that that's um, next week on the Hagman report. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's you know, it, it's if 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 somebody weren't entrenched in 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 politics and and goings ons today, you you would think that this is something out of some some crazy, you know, dystopian novel. It's it's insane. That we're actually at, we're having this conversation. I, it, it, 
I don't know. Listen, here, here's the bottom line, okay? I have guns. I own guns. I'm never going to give them up. Uh, Eli, or uh, Levi Sanders, excuse me, uh, Bernie Sanders' kid, uh, lives eh, roughly about 25 miles from, uh, from, from where my residence is. Um, he's running, although his father is, of course, in Vermont, um, you know, he is now running for uh, Congressional District 1, which is currently occupied by Carol Shea Porter. Um, she announced that she was not going to run or seek for uh, a re-election. So Levi Sanders is running for that position. And he came out and a couple of weeks ago and said, well, you know, uh, yeah, you, you may think you have a right to own these firearms, but you don't. And so, you know, I made a very public statement to him. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Levi, since you're so, uh, you're, you're, you're so dedicated to this concept of eliminating these firearms, I own many of them, and they're 25 miles from your home. So why don't you haul your communist soy-sipping beta-slouching ass over here and take them away from me? <laughs> it, it's, it's not about to happen, okay? You want to get rid of guns, here's how you do it. You call an Article 5 convention. You get two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate to agree on it, and then you have it ratified by three-quarters of the states. And guess what? Then you can have your constitutional amendment. Until then, keep your damn hands off my guns, because if you try coming for them, you know what? The law of sheer numbers says you'll probably get me, but you're going to find me in a very, very large pile of spent brass. And, th and there it is. Our special guest, Keith Hansen, the Keith Hansen Show, WNTK.com. Boom, drop the mic and walk away. And Keith, walk uh, away. Two, two questions for you, sir. One's a quickie and the other one, uh, we'll bounce it over to you and get your opinion. And this is, these are, this is to put tools in our listeners and viewers toolboxes because this, the whole Second Amendment gun issue, it, it, it can get very complicated, even for people like you and I and, and the Hagmans and, you know, we're gun owners and have been for, for decades. Uh, the first question, are you uh, familiar, Keith, with a YouTube channel I recently found called Active Self-Protection? Uh, 800,000 subscribers? Not yeah, No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. Just a uh, real quick recommend for our listeners and viewers. It's Active Self-Protection. I believe the man who does it, he's a pastor as well, but his name is John Correa. And Keith, what he does is he presents uh, CCTV footage and cell phone footage from all over the world, and then he analyzes as a firearms and as a self-defense instructor what the victims and what the perpetrators did correctly, what they did poorly, etc. And that segues into the question I'd really like to encourage you to extrapolate a little bit for us tonight. Uh, these companies that have sprung up the last 10 years where for $19.99 a month or $39.99 a month, you can essentially put your money in a pool of attorneys, of Second Amendment attorneys, in case, God forbid, you ever do get involved in a self-defense shooting scenario you can immediately apparently 24 hours a day you can call one of these uh, consortiums and get an attorney right there to represent you before you open your mouth and potentially put yourself in trouble uh, an opinion on those Keith and are you part of one and can you recommend anything um, I, I am a part of the, uh, there's a, the, one of the first, I, I believe it was the first organization to ever so offer something similar to that. Um, and I, uh, and I apologize for not remembering the gentleman's last name, but his first name is Marty, uh, and it's the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. Um, and the Marty Armed Hayes. Legal Defense, Marty Hayes. Thank Marty you. Hayes. Yeah. He's actually joining us, uh, forgive me, Keith, he's joining us in two weeks. Uh, he confirmed his invitation. Oh, yesterday. is he? Okay, great, yep. great. Um, yeah, uh, Marty's a Marty's a great guy. Says I, I, and I forgot his last name because I just I haven't had the opportunity to speak with him, and it's probably been about two years now. Um, but uh, Marty and his wife started the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network years ago. Um, I was an affiliate instructor with them. We 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 gave their information out. Uh, I as an affiliate instructor had a membership myself. 
And what the, the concept of that was, was uh, if, if you find yourself in a situation, now, of course, depending on what state you're in, um, you know, some states have very permissive self-defense laws and other states have very restrictive self-defense laws. So, for instance, in Florida, uh, if you use justifiable self-defense and, you know, the investigators, they, they come and it's pretty open and shut and it's pretty clear that, you know, what you did was in self-defense. Maybe you've got a couple of people who said, yeah, you know, listen, uh, you know, the guy was walking out from the convenience store to his car, you know, this, this armed hood went up to him and, 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 you know, held a knife to him and demanded his money. Guy pulled out a gun and shot him. Now, police are going to say, well, you know, it's, it's pretty much an open and shut case here. There's really no, no point in going any further. Um, and they stop it. And you, you know, there's, there's, there's no questioning. There's no interrogation. There's no being taken into custody, being hauled downtown and put under the hot lamp and, and, uh, and, and, and questioned for hours. Um, and in other states, well, even if you have a hundred people that are offering exculpatory information, uh, that, that clearly and, and, and decisively establishes that you were the victim and you acted in self-defense, you're still going to be arrested. You're still going to be brought down to a police station. You're still going to be questioned. Um, and I think any self-defense attorney worth their salt is going to tell you don't ever answer any questions. Uh, that, yep. uh, you know, that, that are asked by the police unless you have legal representation there. Because when a police officer says in your Miranda rights, anything you say can and will be used against you, scratch the can, uh, and, and just put the emphasis where it needs to be, which is on that will. If you say something, even if it's exculpatory, uh, you know, it, it can still be used against you. And they will do that. So the emphasis is, of course, is making sure that you have adequate legal counsel and, and of course, I'm, I'm not an attorney. I, I do a lot of expert witness work in, in self-defense law, so I'm, 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 I'm pretty fluent in the process and the language. But I just don't want anybody to take this as legal advice because it's not the point. Um, <clears throat> but you want to make sure that you have counsel there at the onset of questioning, so that way there you have legal representation. Um, the other thing too is that if you're a law-abiding citizen and you're carrying a firearm for self-protection purposes you're probably not the kind of person that's really going to fare well in jail. Law-abiding citizens tend to not do very well in an area where they're locked up with criminal predators. Remember, you were carrying a firearm to protect yourself from criminal predators. Now you are unarmed and literally locked in a room with criminal predators. And law-abiding citizens typically don't fare very well in prison. It's a very, very traumatic experience, very frightening experience. Most people don't want to find themselves there. So organizations like the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network will provide that initial uh, attorney 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that way there, through that questioning process, you do have somebody who is advocating for you who has knowledge of that state's respective self-defense laws and can provide you adequate advice and guidance through that initial questioning process and hopefully get you out of jail. There are other programs that are out there. I think with the Carry Guard, you've got that. The U.S. Concealed Carry Association has uh, a, an insurance program. Uh, there's U.S. Law Shield, which is a great. I've, I've got uh, <clears throat> I've got some of the brass from U.S. Law Shield. That's um, they, they want me to come on board and, and teach uh, tactical medical programs and active shooter response programs for uh, their New England market up here. And so we're just kind of figuring out how we're going to whack this whole thing up and, and, and make this work. Um, they offer a similar program as well, too. The one thing that I would caution people on uh, is, is to, to do your due diligence and make sure that the organization that you're signing up with and, and, and paying dues money to has the strength in numbers and also has the financial solvency 
to be able to adequately represent you through whatever contractually they say they will. There are some of these programs that say, well, we'll cover all of your attorney's costs for criminal proceedings, including trial, and representation in court in the event that you're sued civilly. Well, it's easy to understand that a case like that could very easily run into the millions of dollars. I mean, you could be looking at a million, a million two, a million four, a million five. So if the organization that is providing that service doesn't have the financial strength or the financial solvency, one really high-profile case could bankrupt that organization. So it's important to make sure that the organization is legitimate, that it has the size, it has the strength, it has good attorneys. I know here up in New Hampshire and also in New Jersey, Evan Knappen, one of the best attorneys that you could possibly have. Evan is a member of the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network. He's also a member of U.S. Law Shield. So, I mean, if you're in a pickle, you need an attorney. If you're in New Jersey or New Hampshire, you know, Evan Knappen is going to be the guy that they're going to recommend, and he's very, very good at what he does. That being said, you know, again, due diligence. You've got to do your homework to make sure that the organization that you're signing up with, again, is legitimate, it's bona fide, they have a good network of attorneys, and they have the size, the strength, and the financial solvency to be able to do exactly what it is that they say they're going to do for you. And that's a very good summary, Keith. And I've been hearing commercials here and there for these, you know, get insurance for your firearms, get insurance for yourself, just in case, you know, somebody breaks into your house and you shoot them, and then before you know it, you're in jail. Help us help you in that situation. And that's a lot of great advice for if you're going to consider doing that, because you don't know, you know, the background of these companies. As you said, the financial stability and the bankroll they have plays a very significant factor in what they're able to do. And there's a lot of scams out there, so you absolutely have to be careful. We only have about four minutes left with you, Keith. I want to talk about your new show that you've got going on. And I'm going to be posting some stuff up on Hagman Report for our viewers out there, where to find it, when it's on, and whatnot. But your YCN News Vermont Wrap, you had your first episode on the 4th of May. What are you working on now with the show? Well, of course, it is, you know, I'm filming Thursdays and Fridays. So Thursdays, usually we're filming the interviews. And then to make sure that the news that's being broadcast on Saturday night and Sunday night is as fresh as possible, I do the commentary portion and the news review portion on Friday. So I'll be taping that, filming that tomorrow evening. So this will be episode number three. The good news is originally this was supposed to be a four-series or a four-episode pilot. So we were going to run four episodes. Then we were going to put the show on sabbatical. The network was going to do their, you know, to do their analytics on it to see how it did and then make the determination as to whether or not they were going to bring the show back in September. Right after the airing of episode number two, I did have the network come to me and say, how would you feel about not going on sabbatical and continuing to film throughout the duration of the summer uninterrupted? Which, I mean, wow. I mean, talk it, yes, yes, and yes, we're going to continue to do that. So it doesn't look like we're going to go anywhere because the response has been very, very good. People like it. And I think the bottom line is that the people who agree with me really like the show, and the people who don't agree with me, you know, again, I had to go into Vermont the other day, and I kind of felt like I was going to burst into flames at one point. You know, I have not kicked the hornet's nest. I have smashed that bad Jackson open with a Louisville slugger. 
And uh, the response is great. And I, I can tell you something, the, the, the conservatives, the Republicans, the, the true Republicans, the liberty-minded citizens of the state of Vermont love this because they feel as though they finally have a voice. They finally have somebody who is willing to go on the airwaves and say out loud to a camera exactly what they've been thinking for years and years and years. And it's about time that we make some changes over there in the state of Vermont. They're good people over there, but they are getting absolutely raped and pillaged by a progressive government. It's got to stop. It's got, amen. And that, and for our listeners and viewers, uh, you can access, uh, Keith's new program, again, Vermont News Wrap at YCN, YCN, Yankee Communications Network, YCNnow.com. So, uh, Correct. go to YCNnow.com and, uh, Keith's got a couple of episodes up and you're interviewing, uh, public safety commissioners and you're talking about progressive potpourri. So there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of verisimilitude in the car. <laughs> and actually there. at the, uh, at the end of, uh, last week's episode, I, I do actually don the pink vagina hat. Cause I give it, evidently there's some people who say, well, you know, you need to be a little more soft and, 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 you know, fuzzy in your feelings. So, uh, to celebrate the feelings of the snowflakes, I did don my pink vagina hat, especially for them. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a piece of, uh, I don't want to say cinematic, but television magic. You got to check that out. I, you you uh, uh, piqued my curiosity, Keith. I'm definitely going to be doing that. Probably, it's in the probably, last, it's probably in the last tonight. Seconds, <laughs> yeah, pro- probably as soon as we hit the break. But uh, no, seriously, everybody out there, follow Keith at Real Keith Hansen, and uh, you know, show your support for the show. Go there, uh, go to the YouTube channel, leave a comment, um, make it known that you're you're listening to the show, and whether you, whether you like it or not, make sure you uh, engage and provide that feedback because it's so important. Uh, when starting endeavors yep. like this, Keith, that you have that audience interaction to know what you're doing yeah, right absolutely. or what you need to change. And for the people who would say, well, you know, I'm in Nebraska or I'm in Idaho or I'm in Montana, what difference does it make to me? Well, to the people who are in Vermont, it makes a big difference. And your show of support to them by supporting the show and supporting this project means that they will continue to receive a message that is crafted specifically for them with a strong, principled, conservative approach. And that's what's critical. Amen. Absolutely. And, and hey, listeners to the Hagman Report, drop Keith Hansen a line, uh, at Real Keith Hansen on Twitter or WNTK.com for the Keith Hansen Show. He spends time with us every week. Uh, reach out to Keith and let him know you appreciate him. And we appreciate you, Keith. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the opportunity to do this every week, every Thursday night. It's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's something I look forward to each and every week. You guys got a great show, great program. Love you guys. It's a privilege to know you as colleagues and also as personal friends. So thank you for the opportunity. All right, thank you. That was Keith Hansen. YCNnow.com for the Vermont News Wrap. WNTK.com for the Keith Hansen Show. Up next, uh, open lines. Joe, we get to talk to some of our friends and listeners. Yeah, we're going to be taking calls when we come back. The number's right there on the screen, 844-769-2944. I had to look at it because I we haven't taken calls in so long that I have forgotten it. So 844-769-2944. Calls when we come back. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back to our final segment on this Thursday, May 17th, 2018 edition of the Hagman Report. We have open lines in this segment, and we already have a full bank of callers, so let's not waste any more time, and we're going to take the calls in the order that they have come in. We're going to go first to Douglas, DB. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going good. How about you? Okay, but how'd you give my first name? That's anonymous, man. 
Uh, that's on my screen. It can't be that anonymous. <laughs> you know, that's the trouble with caller ID. There is yep. no anonymity or no expectation of privacy, right? I think uh, star 67, if you press that before you call, I think that uh, makes it unavailable. Oh, cool. What do you call it? Power? Star six seven, but when you before you Star dial seven, a number, thank you. I'm yeah. writing that down. So anyway, I'm I'm kind of uh, technically deficient here, even though I am an engineer. But anyway, um, you got you had great guests tonight, excellent. And where do I get one of them pink pussy hats? Uh, excuse me, uh, pink uh, pansy hats. I don't know. I, I've okay. never. Uh, you, you probably can get it on Amazon. I think I think okay, uh, I think Doug, if if you tell them that you know Keith Hansen, I think you get twenty percent off. Call me DB. That was kind of a tongue-in-cheek question. Okay, um, and if if I wore it locally, oh boy, the adversaries would be up in arms. <laughs> That'd be a beautiful thing. So, um, years ago, and it wasn't so very long ago, if you used the C word and that was communist, people would roll their eyes and, you know, you're a nutcase, you wear a tinfoil hat. But anymore, more and more people are realizing that the communist incursion is real, I have a neighbor who's a communist, and I've known this for years. Now, he probably would not admit it. His son says that he's a socialist, and I said, so you want to split hairs or what? The guy once told me that, that well, we don't have constitutional rights. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, that bird, that bird out, uh, outside the window, it doesn't have any rights. I'm like, are you out of your mind? And here's the deal. Cicero gave us the natural laws. Our laws, our constitution... Is, are based on biblical law, Roman civil law, and English common law. Now, these rights are unalienable. That means they're not statutory. But you can give them away. And if you give them away, they don't just disappear. You've given them to someone else. Uh, I thought Keith Hansen was great. We have to be vigilant. We have to to be strong. We have to put our feet up to the plate, right, and try to strike it out. So, anyway, that said, there's lots to talk about, and you guys are on limited time. Thanks for what you're doing. DB, thank you so much for the call, and we uh, we, we absolutely do appreciate it. And the uh, yeah, John does a great job bringing the, the guests on, and, and we've uh, really, uh, since John's come on, increased the value and the product of the show because of uh those awesome guests. So it is uh it is great when, you know, just this whole week it's it's been phenomenal with the people we've brought on. You know, and I, I just want to add quickly and we'll get another caller on. Uh D B thank you for the words of encouragement. They they mean a lot. And to everyone who takes a moment to email us or DM us on Twitter or whatever, uh the words of encouragement are really valuable and also we do truly feel your prayers. There are days where I'm having a rough day or Joe is, Doug, anyone here on the on the team uh, but somebody somewhere is is praying for us at that moment, and and Joe, I think that really is what puts the uh, the fire in our program. That's exactly right. Absolutely, without that support, we would not be anywhere. All right, next caller in Ohio, we have Shannon on the air with us. If I can get the button to work, there we go. Shannon from Ohio, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hi. Um. Uh, I'm calling because there's like there's so much going on in Ohio right now. Um, being a single mom, um, I was, uh, speaking to my 13-year-old daughter about what's going on at her school, 
apparently there's a gay straight alliance club. Did you say? Did you say gay straight alliance club at thirteen? Yes, at thirteen and seventh grade. And wow. She's. Uh, I'm. I'm bringing her around to being raised more conservative. Um, she was wondering if she could start a conservative club, but I. I don't know how welcoming <laughs> that would be. <laughs> yeah. You good know. luck. But, but I'd say yeah, just, yeah. Let her start it. This, I know, just all this, and her principal is actually um, a lesbian. So wow. there's like all this rainbow stuff, like all over her school. Shannon, uh, Shannon, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, John Robertson here, sitting in for Doug Hagman this evening. Um, I know uh-huh. that that the uh, that that Americans everywhere are just strapped for cash and strapped for time, et cetera. But have, have you considered uh, uh, altern- alternative school options uh, for your daughter? I mean, look, uh, lesbian principal, seventh grade, gay straight alliance. This is getting into some pretty murky water for a 13-year-old girl. I'm currently, like, looking into that because um, my daughter's uncomfortable with even talking to her principal. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like they had a, it's like a, they had a principal switch and it's just since this has happened, it's like, I didn't want to pull her out like late in the year because, you know, it might mess up her studies or, you know. But I am looking at other schools, but it, it's a lot going on, like, and I guess like at her school, they're, I mean, the kids with their cell phones and kids on the bus, you know, or watching Pornhub, it's very, you know, easy to get to for these you kids know, nowadays. Shannon, um, I, I just want to give you a, a suggestion or two. Um, you know, with a 13-year-old uh, young lady, a 13-year-old daughter, um, and I say this respectfully, but don't, don't worry too much about being her best buddy, you know. Put the tracking program on her cell phone. Use the software available to make sure that that... Yeah, go ahead. She doesn't have... She don't have a cell phone for those reasons, Even better. <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, if, if she don't have a phone, it's, other kids are watching it on their phones. And this is like, even good school, you know, it's just, there's so much, like, Stuff. Like, I would think that, like, to get on that type of stuff, you would have to have, like, uh, a credit card and a subscription, but it's just, it's, it's an indoctrination. It's like they're trying to sexualize them at such a young age, and that's, I don't know, it's just really troubling. Well, that's and, exactly what they're doing, and, and they're, this is a, a uh, ideology, this is a, a program of complete demoralization, of, of complete uh, corruption and evil, and they are, you know, like Hitler said, if you capture them at a young age, you will have them forever. And what they're trying to do is, is pervert everything to change our society and to make it as evil as possible. And they've really intensified, uh, their uh, application of that and now have target, are even targeting preschools with, you know, the, the gender, uh, transsexual type agenda. So it's really disheartening. This is why it's so important for parents to get involved for them to push back and to pay attention. Yeah, I, I really, like, I've been listening to your show probably for, like, the past three months because I'm looking for, like, answers because I wasn't really politically, I would say, like, really, I didn't really care about politics. And so, like, 
I turned maybe 30 or so, and I just turned 33. So I started with, like, Michael Savage and the Cooner Report, those type of places, you know, for news instead of, like, the TV. Because I don't know, like, yeah. it's so obvious what's going on. And I think more people are becoming awake, but it's, like, they're scared to speak out. Yes, they are. I mean, it's fear. It's, it's just like a strong fear there. It's horrible. No, you're absolutely right, Shannon, and we have to continue. We can't be afraid. We we got to push back against these people at every turn. Thank you so much for the call. We got to cut you loose. We have a full bank of callers to get to and only about 15 minutes left. So God bless you, Shannon. You keep fighting and and uh, uh, say hi to your daughter from us. All right, we're going to go next to John in Pennsylvania. John, thanks for holding. You're live on the Hagman Report. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate this. Uh, the funny thing is I told my wife I thought I might have to drive up to Erie and try to hire your dad. Uh, I, I, I know you guys are, like, super awake and that he's on our shows show a lot. And uh, the primary... In Pennsylvania, I live in the 13th district. Are you familiar with what went on in the 13th? No, no, I'm not. All right. I kept sending you guys trying to get a hold of you. We had an eight-man race. The guy who won, his father was chief of... I mean, the, he was the father of Billy Schuster, Congressman Chairman Schuster's chief of staff. Now, if you look up the QAnon post, I know you guys are familiar with what I'm talking about. They put out a list last week of all these people in business and in Congress that were corrupt that got thrown out. And the very first name at the top of that list was Bill Schuster. And Bill Schuster hired his chief of staff's father and put half a million dollars into his campaign because he was supposedly retired like his corrupt father did from the uh, Congress for uh, this illness, right? And Billy's not sick at all. He's going to go to K Street and make millions of dollars. Well, you know, John, we really appreciate you calling and, and, and bringing us up to speed on what happened here in the state of Pennsylvania, 13th District. And uh, it reminds me of uh, so many candidates that we've uh, hosted here on the Hagman Report the last couple of months uh, probably six or eight at this point, and yes, one of the I, I, one of I the. I listen every night. Well, we appre- we appreciate that, sir, and That's and awesome. uh, I would encourage you to continue going to HagmanReport.com, uh, where we're featuring more and more original content every day. Uh, Peterberry Chalka, of course, will be writing about the election as we move closer, and we will continue to run these candidates. And what we're going to do in some cases, John. Uh, is we're going to use some of these candidates who really well, just don't have the resources to win, but we're no, going to bring them back for political you need to commentary. Deep into this, like his yeah. father was a private investigator. Billy Schuster's chief of staff left and went to work for the Podesta Group. He went to work okay. for John and Tony Podesta. Okay, whenever whenever the group broke up, when Tony ran and hid, right. During, right during the pizza mm-hmm. gate stuff when they shut it down mm-hmm. his wife then divorced him took over the company changed the name and this guy Sean Joyce who was Billy Schuster's chief of staff who was his campaign manager he was his uh, legislative 
He, you know, he worked his way up from legislative assistant the whole way to chief of staff. Then he bailed and went to the Podesta group. And then they ran his father when Billy got in trouble. So really, and no one knows why all of a sudden Congressman Schuster announced that he was going to leave Congress and then they ran their puppet. Billy got in office the same way. His father was caught hiding in the back seat of a lobbyist car. Wow, okay. You, you do the research. On, it was on 60 Minutes back in oh, 20 years ago. Well, this is and a... He, reti- he retired, we, and he handed the seat to his son in a special election. Yeah, this, this is how the... Uh, down here. This is how the dirty politics are played. And I just made a bunch of notes of what you uh, had said. So, yes, I, I will look into this, and I appreciate you bringing it to our attention. Um, but, yeah, this is, you know, the culture of corruption that we have in our political system is what has brought it to uh, the lowest levels that we are at today. And unless we get involved, unless we expose these kind of activities, it's only going to continue. So that's why it's so important that well, we do pay attention. And, uh, and Altoona, at the Republican debate, they did the gotcha questions and asked Dr. Joyce this question, and he said, oh, that's fake news. My son doesn't work for Podesta. Well, they changed the name of the company. So he didn't actually not work yeah. with John and Tony Podesta because his wife took it over and they changed the yep. name of the company. If you if you look and look this all up, you'll you'll see that everything I'm saying is 100 percent true. Absolutely, and it just John. Shows that we still have a lot of Republicans that are part of the swamp, and I, I just don't know if we can get rid of them all. Uh, that's a a great point, John. We got to let you go, but we will look into this. And uh, we will report back, but yeah, it's going to take more than just President Trump fighting the deep state to get these people out of here. I was talking to John earlier, and I said, you know, really, my only solution would be to have what ten thousand people go in there and uh, you know, remove would be better <laughs> and remove everybody in, from the positions of power. Uh, set up a commission of of well-respected and trusted business owners and community leaders to decide who's going to take their place. Interimly, headed, then, headed uh, by Pastor Langford. Exactly, something <laughs> like that. That's the only way to, to tackle this. It has to be all or nothing. You can't do it, you know, one position at a time, and, and you got to do it from the bottom up. You can't. We can't just focus on D.C. as the problem. It starts locally, yep. and you work your way up from there. That's right. Uh, you know what, John from Pennsylvania just demonstrated for all of our listeners and viewers is he is involving himself. You could tell the gentleman had a wealth of information. We probably could have had him on as a guest and covered half an hour, if not a full hour. Uh, and so, John, thank you so much for listening as much as you do. Joe, who do we have up next? All right. We have, uh, we still have, we have five callers and we have 10, 11, 12, 13 minutes. So we got about two, three minutes each caller. We have Benny up next from North Carolina. Benny, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hey, fellas. Hey. Hey, right, Benny, how you doing? Uh, tell your dad I said hi. And Lou Joe, and I like John. I, I just found out his name today. And I like <laughs> him. Uh, what do you want to well, ask me? <laughs> What's that? What do we want to ask you? Yeah, what do you want to ask me? I'll tell you the truth. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, Benny. We just had John from Pennsylvania check in. He was talking about the uh, the deep uh, corruption and, and trying to drain the swamp and how it's really got to start locally. Now, now, uh, Benny, we can give you about a minute and a half, two minutes. Why don't you give us a quick sit rep of what's happening in North Carolina and how are you folks down there uh, doing your part to drain the swamp, sir? Again, about two minutes, minute and a half. Okay, Richard Burr <laughs> and uh, Bloody Gita. 
You know? Uh, we're doing our job, all right? But in all reality, Washington ain't. And no. uh, I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that guy. Like I said, you know, we Mueller cannot be compromised, okay? He has to do his job. Well, Benny, absolutely. We're going to move on. Thank you so much for the call. Uh, we do appreciate you listening. Katie in Iowa, you are up next, and you're live on the Hagman Report. Hey, I'll try to make it quick. Yes, everyone support Hagman. Become a Patreon. Send, uh, I mean, we're you guys do this for free, so we should be sending donations to you for all the hard work you guys do. But anyway, a couple of things. Yes, star 67 and... And the phone number and your uh, phone number will not come up on the screen. I yeah, do that well with yeah. my job. So so it is star 67 and then the nine-digit number. But um, you've had a lot of different stuff on immigration. And, yes, I'm a Christian conservative. But um, just kind of a balanced picture, my son-in-law was illegal from Mexico. His dad brought him over when he was, like, 16 to to try to help bring income into the family. And then his dad went back. And after a couple of years, he met my daughter. Um, they fell deeply in love, and I didn't know it was illegal. But then when um, um, they were thinking of getting married, and by the way, it's a legitimate marriage, by the way, 10 years now. But, I mean, we I worked long and hard, long and hard to make him a legal citizen. So he just, we just got, he's had his citizenship a year now. Um, he had to go back to Mexico as part of that process, you know, and, and, do the whole nine yards and um, I'm here to tell you I spent thousands of dollars uh, to our government to make him legal so I mean there are ways and paths but um, it's an interesting process for people if you can do it so yeah um, it is that. It, but then the, yeah, I just wanted to say ahead. that uh, you know, it's, it's always great to hear when people are able to get citizenship and it's just uh, it's really frustrating when we see the the debate of illegal versus legal immigration get confused where uh, you see people attacking uh, other people's point of view but we never clarify we never hear the argument clarified that uh, even the illegal immigration and the amnesty it it does a disservice to those who are trying to go through the process legally and it's so important that uh, you know that uh, and it's great to hear that they're still married and that uh, he's a citizen now that's awesome yeah Yep, yep, and 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 again, you know, he came. I mean, his dad brought him over illegally and all that stuff. But but I I want to get on because you have a lot of callers too. But there, you guys have just done so much talk lately um, on your dad's show and your show and 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 the Hegman report um, about the times where we're at. And we have to stand up and fight and stuff. And I just think of people credit uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer for this, but I don't think it was Diedrich in Germany in World War II. I think it was um, one of his, it was a Lutheran pastor who was, who had been a friend of Diedrich's who ended up getting put in um, in a prison camp. And But you'll know, I don't have it exactly, um, the phrase, but something like, well, they they didn't they they didn't come for me. They came for the Jews. They didn't come for the yeah. Christians. And so then they didn't come for these people. But then they came for the Christians, and there was no one left to speak up for me. So yeah. you know, you have to Google the phrase. It'll come up. But I when I hear that, I think of you guys, and I think that's where we have to take our stand right now. So 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think it's, uh, they, first they came for the Jews and I didn't say anything because I wasn't yeah. affected by it. And then they the came trade for the trade unionists. Yeah. Yeah, the trade unionists. When they came yeah. for me, there was nobody left, uh, to say anything. So right, it is so important. Right. Yeah. And you know, Katie, uh, thank you for checking in from Iowa and, and what you're doing and what we're doing right now. It's just an exchange of ideas in the free market of ideas. It's a discourse and your voice has been heard. Our voices are being heard. And for people who are maybe a little shy to call in and talk to us or maybe they don't feel like they can start a podcast or something, uh, your voice will be heard in heaven. Just spend, spend time in prayer. And I, I really sincerely mean that. Katie, we're gonna, we're gonna wish you a good evening. We've got a couple more callers to get to. God bless you. Thanks for the call. Yep. Bye. Have a good night. All right. We got, Bill in North Carolina. Bill, we're coming to you. You're live on the Hagman Report. Hey, John, and hello, Joe. And I just want to say, first of all, Joe, that I've been following you for a while, and I've got to tell you, you have really, really exploded with talent and ability in the year, uh, year or so, maybe more, that I've been listening. So I really think God is blessing not just uh, you know your program, but your talents and gifts and skills have really been honed, and it's been a remarkable transition to see. I mean, you've always been adequate, you know that kind of thing, but I've, I've sensed a real um, a growth professionally in you, and I just want don't want that to be es- escape anybody uh, that's kind of just now tuning in, and uh, I think that's great. And so, congratulations on on that part of your. Uh, professionalism. Just a few things I wanted to uh, bring about. It's so important, you know, a lot of us, I'm in North Carolina near near Winston-Salem, and um, a lot of times we feel so removed and, and incapable maybe of, of helping to make a point, but the, the power each of us have to influence family, friends, co-workers, people we, uh, you know, just happen to run into at the grocery store or whatever, is is truly key in this battle that we're in. We're really fighting for the for the survival of our country and the ideals of the uh, republic on which we're built. Uh, and sometimes we have to use language that is understandable to the left to destroy their their perspective. For instance, democracy is what they always call us. We're not a democracy, and I know you've talked about that. But democracy dies when illegal aliens vote. There's no way to dispute that. It's absolutely accurate, and I think we have to be yep. able and willing to articulate, you know, that perspective. Additionally, too, we are witnessing in recent years a deliberate collapse of mainstream media into misinformation and arrogance, irrelevance, and woe. And the only the only antidote to that is really what you and your dad, with the great foresight he has, and his uh, ability to write certainly and 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 do this uh it, it, it's it's our it's our sole weapon it seems to me uh, as far as combating the absurdity of where a media is finding itself today and I, I just want to underscore how important your part is and and the part of each of us those listening to go ahead and speak up and uh, you know it's those those moments of trying to be quiet and and get along to go along and go along to get along that ultimately will result in the destruction of our republic if we don't speak up. And we're looking at a a Democrat party. The pride of that party is based on abortion. It's based on socialism. 
Democrats based on godlessness, corruption, lies, hatred, and coercion. All of these things identify, and 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 with a sense of pride, the Democrat Party. So uh, we really have to be able to say these things, not with hatred and volatility, but with a love for our country and a love for the foundations of our uh, our incredible country. If, if America's light goes out, the light of the world goes out. Absolutely, and I want to say thank you for uh, for what you said coming into the uh, conversation here. It's like uh, going to get a job as a contractor and not knowing anything about carpentry or or uh, how to do it. And then you know, after so many years of doing it, you finally start to pick up on on and learn. So you know, I think that has a lot to do with it, as well as uh, as you mentioned, being blessed. Uh, that also has a whole lot to do with it. And thank you for those those compliments. But you know. You're right. We see uh, the catering to the illegal immigration and the illegal immigrants in this country, from sanctuary cities to issuing driver's licenses to allowing them to vote. You have to. There's laws in place for a reason. And when you see the uh, the, these people basically uh, just ignoring the laws because of their own personal beliefs and feelings, that is absolutely when democracy dies. And the media promoting it makes it even worse. So we appreciate your call. We got to run. What's that? No, that's Go right. Ahead. I just want to say uh, congratulations and uh, keep on with that idea. And and don't be afraid to say you, a lot of us have Democrats in our family and and around, but natural the, the things like natural and good are totally unwelcome in the Democrat Party today. We need to be able to see that and to articulate it. And with the help of you and your work there and John there tonight as well, I just want to say uh, we thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. That was Bill from North Carolina. I just want to reiterate, Joe, democracy dies when illegal aliens vote. And, and that is so true. Mm-hmm. Uh, democracy also dies when people learn they can vote to steal other people's money. Uh, but Joe, yeah. who else do we have up? Okay, we got Brett in North Carolina. Brett, welcome to the Hagman Report. We only got about a minute left. Thank you, sir. It's kind of ironic that I'm one town over from your previous caller. I've been called for jury duty. And I'm wondering if I carry my citizen's rule book in the pocket constitution, how bad or how well will I fare to become a juror? Well, it depends on, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the local law enforcement and and court officials there. You know, we see some people handing out constitutions and other things at courthouses and, and they get, you know, thrown out or arrested and maybe they'd be more likely to put you on the jury depending if your town is more constitutionally minded. So it's always a good idea and uh, I don't think you can get hurt by it, so why not try? Well, I'm going to try, so uh, I appreciate your time and uh, y'all have a great day and thank you for your show. Brett, thank you, and and thanks for the call. All right, we are out of time, and we uh, sorry we had a few callers that had to drop off there. But one of the things that we're going to start doing more often, I think on a weekly basis, is we're going to try to start incorporating phone calls at least once a week, maybe more. I mean, we can do it uh, more than that when time is available, but we're going to start doing this more often. Yep. Through uh, through the uh, rest of the month, we've got open lines scheduled at least two, if not three more times. And uh, just kind of keep in mind, listeners and viewers, that uh, Keith Hansen joins us every Thursday at 9 p.m. Uh, open lines are going to be 9.30 to 10 p.m. on Thursdays, so you can organize your thoughts and, and reach out and speak to Doug or Joe once in a while, perhaps with me.
And maybe um, what a great the, show tonight, uh, Joe. Yeah, and maybe some of the uh, the days when we have the first hour open, we can also do a half hour news and then incorporate news and phone calls into that uh, spot because I know a lot of people don't listen or can't listen to the whole three hour show and probably want to call in as well. So uh, maybe we can make time to do that. But we do appreciate Absolutely. all the the calls, the participation. From the audience, we want to thank Todd at Global Star Radio for being our and his wife for being the call screeners and taking care of that. Uh, we really do appreciate it. So that will do it for us tonight. We will be back here tomorrow, and we have a great show planned for tomorrow as well. I know it's one that uh, uh, Renee and others have been really looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, we've been working so. hard on this one. Ten, ten second teaser: uh, kids being pulled out of a life of sex trafficking and violence in communist Asian countries. We're going to talk tomorrow evening with people on the other side of the world who are doing exactly that. Excellent. I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Until tomorrow, be safe and God bless.